Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me, as always, is my producer, Kevin Black. We are back. Part two of 30 questions for 30 NBA teams. I have my same boys back with me, Brad Usher and Jacob Birkenshaw from the Other State at NBA Show. If you didn't check out part one, where we went through all of the Eastern Conference teams, definitely go listen to that one. But we're locked in for the Western Conference today. Again, same format that we did for the Eastern Conference. We each took a division. We came up with questions for each team within that division. I'm so excited. I I guess we're going to be starting with the Southwest Division. But before we do that, Brett, Jacob, how are you guys feeling today? Day two of recording. You guys excited to hop into the Western Conference? Yeah, man, no question. Uh, Definitely had a blast doing the Eastern Conference yesterday. And uh, yeah, I'm ready for more. Yes, sir. Just um, spent like three hours on a train today, flying back to London, but I'm ready, ready to go again. So these two actually chose these divisions, I think, even quicker than they did for the Eastern Conference, as Jacob just mentioned in our group before we got on to to record. He has the South Best division, as he wants to aptly title it. And then Brett has quite literally all of his damn pet NBA teams in the division that he chose. So this should be a really interesting um, podcast with a bunch of different opinions, but let's just, let's get right into it. So Jacob Southwest South best division, whatever the hell you want to call it. Who's the first team we got today. Um, I'm going to go with a team that's been kind of in the rumor mill last week or so um, regarding their star young player and his potential discontent. Oh boy. Pianos, pianos being played in bedrooms <laughs> and stuff. You know, there's, there's a lot, a lot of news going around there. So my question is for the New Orleans Pelicans, will David Griffin survive this season? Ooh. Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I, I don't know the answer to that question either, to be honest. This might be the one question that we all ask ourselves and we're really all stumped to give an answer. So David Griffin hasn't necessarily been with the team too long. However, I don't know if I see the path for the Pelicans to make the playoffs or or definitely be within like the top six seats. Maybe they can secure one of the play-in spots. I don't know how they would get into the top six race, let alone even if they make it through the play-in round, how they would even make it out of the first round of the playoffs in the West because the conference and the quality of the conference is just so deep as it always is. So, yeah, that, that might be our answer right there. Maybe David Griffin doesn't necessarily survive too much longer after the conclusion of this year. I obviously don't think the Pelicans would engage in you know, swapping out executives mid-season and making a rash decision quite like that. I, I know the the Minnesota Timberwolves just made a rash decision, but they their hand was kind of forced given other circumstances. I don't see something like that playing out in New Orleans. But Brett, do you, what what kind of season do you envision for the Pelicans? Am I just being down on them? Maybe I should put a little more respect to Zion and and Brandon Ingram's name. Do you see a little more success for them, or am I kind of along the right the right train of thinking here man i was pretty optimistic about this team until we found out about zion's broken foot that he's recovering from that apparently happened like earlier in the summer i think but 
we're just kind of finding out about it now, which is really strange. Um, it almost makes me wonder when the Pelicans found out about it. And there just seems to be so much uh, disconnection within that franchise that nothing would surprise me at this point. But yeah, I mean, you know, we, we've talked about it on previous podcasts and uh, I think even, even on our own Western conference preview that we recorded the other day and haven't finished or released yet. Um, I think I was talking about, you know, Zion maybe having like an MVP caliber season on an individual level. Yep. Uh, that doesn't seem so realistic now, um, considering that even if he is ready to start the season, he's going to be behind in conditioning. He obviously didn't look like he was in the greatest condition uh, at media day. So that, that definitely dampens my expectations on this team. D yeah. Griffin has not, you know, done well so far there and I, I just wonder like what has he really done period in the NBA like I question their hiring of him in the first place based on his track record it's like he's had some good things happen like LeBron coming back to he Cleveland. has the best lottery luck of anybody in the NBA that's what he's done for teams <laughs> yeah 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 he's like a good luck charm um, and then even with the Pels, it's like, yeah, they they got an awesome haul back for Anthony Davis, but it's like, wasn't there word that like Palinka might have given them more than he even had to? So I just don't know how much credit he deserves in some of the things that have happened along the way for him. I, you know, I, I I haven't been impressed, and and just the stuff that's come out about stuff things that you know JJ Redick has said about him and. Um, the fact that he and Zion don't really have a relationship. It's like, how do you not have a relationship with your franchise player? Uh, and I don't know how much of that is, is blame should be placed on him there. But uh, yeah, I don't know that it would be like an in-season move getting rid of him. But I could see if things don't go well this season, maybe they move in another direction next summer. Um, the, the timing would make a little more sense there. Uh, as far as my expectations for this team, even with the Zion thing, you know, assuming he can get back to where he was last year, which I think is is realistic, maybe not right out of the gate, but, you know, he just kind of got to look at him as a slow starter, uh, especially this season. I think they have a chance at the playoffs for sure. I have them pegged as a play in team, probably in the seven, eight, nine range. Uh, they're a very talented team. Obviously, I think Ingram's going to have a really big season. I don't know that there's going to be that big of a gap between Zion and Ingram if we're talking about the team's best player. Um, and, you know, I think we, we talked about it a little bit on Twitter today, but just who's going to be their starting point guard? That That is still a question. I like Nikhil Alexander as Alexander Walker in that role. Uh, I think Valanchunas was a big upgrade over Steven Adams. They Devontae Graham, underrated signing. I think people are kind of just looking at him as almost an afterthought, but I think he's a really nice player, um, you know, in terms of doing what he does well. So uh, overall, I like their, I like the talent. I don't hate the construction of the roster. Uh, I'm excited about Willie Green coming in, new coach, new voice, uh, guy that could probably relate to the players a lot better than Stan Van Gundy could. So I, I'm still probably more optimistic than most play in would be my verdict. And um, anything below that, I think you, you really got to start looking at moving on from, from Griffin. I just, I just see this team as the Chicago bulls of the Western conference. Like uh, we know that they're going to score a ton of points because they have Zion and Brandon Ingram are both capable of averaging somewhere between 25 to 27 plus Jonas Valanciunas is capable of averaging 18 to 20 points. Devontae Graham has proven he can average a consistent 14 to 16 points. And then you piece together Nikhil Alexander-Walker, 
Josh Hart, what what Trey Murphy can give you, what Kyra Lewis can give you, Tomas Sadoransky. You'll you'll have plenty of offense to go around from virtually every position you have on the roster. But where's the defense going to come from? Who who's actually going to step up and properly defend people? They like if we're trying to build a starting lineup. Like Josh Hart technically has a case to be in the starting lineup because he's arguably the best perimeter defender that they have right now, unless Trey Murphy inserts himself in the conversation a little early. But outside of him, like, yeah, if you plug him into the starting lineup, he's been a streaky and inconsistent shooter from outside throughout his career. So you're technically taking one three-point shooting weapon off of the table to try and plug in a little bit of defense but I don't see Devontae Graham and Tomas Sadoransky and Kyra Lewis being consistent defenders from the point guard spot. Nikhil Alexander-Walker hasn't been a consistent defender throughout his career yet. Brandon Ingram has regressed in certain aspects in New Orleans. Zion, for, for all that he can be a really awesome defensive playmaker at times, he doesn't play as hard on that inconsistently because he's asked to do so much offensively. And then we know Jonas Valanciunas' struggles as a rim protector defensively at the center spot as well. They have Jackson Hayes behind Valanchunas, who could be a really sneaky candidate to get into the starting lineup at some point this year, especially if those murmurs about his jump shot being ready to go to, to offer some spacing for this team. If those rumors are legit, then, then he could end up in the starting lineup at, at some point, especially if, I don't know, maybe Jonas Valanciunas could be in some really weird midseason trade, a lot of pressures on New Orleans. David Griffin wants to make a move. Who the hell knows? But the, the, that's really my concern with the team. I just don't know if they're going to be able to, to stop people to win enough high leverage games to, to where you're saying, okay, this is the squad that we can build around for the future. We have enough pieces here. Let's trust David Griffin. Let's continue to build this roster out. What, what do you think about all that, Jacob? No, yeah, you hit on a lot of the things that I touched on on our um, preview pod that as much as I think guys like Devontae Graham, Jonas Valanciunas, I like them as players, kind of as these flawed but good quality players. This is almost to me like the worst possible scenario where you have these really strong, like a wing creator in Brandon Ingram and this really strong finishing forward, but neither of them have shown a lot of defensive ability. Like Brandon Ingram showed signs a couple of years ago, but haven't seen much from him. And obviously Zion, like you said, for all the tools, it seems more likely he'll be like a Charles Barkley on defense than, you know, Michael Jordan. But he, I, I, yeah, that backcourt defense is really something I struggle getting, wrapping my head around how they think they're going to be able to keep teams below 120, 130 points per game, honestly. So, Ed, I probably should have phrased my question more. Do, do you think David Griffin will be the GM on opening night 2022? No. For the New Orleans Pelicans. And, yeah, that's, that's where I think, yeah, because I, I, I agree. I think as much as this team is kind of badly run, I mean, I know there's all the talk, the owners actually, they're, they're the Saints owners. They're not really concerned about the Pelicans. As much as that might be true, I don't think any franchise without some like real high level internal dysfunction or like a big rift in the actual team, I don't see them getting rid of him mid season. 
I think the only way that David Griffin is the GM for the opening of the 2022-23 season, guys, is if Kyra Lewis makes a pretty significant jump this year and he proves that he's ready to take on the starting point guard duties. And for what I've said about Jackson Hayes as well, if he shows that he's ready for more responsibility on both ends of the floor, because then you plug in two young guys who are still on reasonable contracts, and then you can start to play with some of those other pieces on the roster, make a few moves. Maybe you really start to see the future coming together, even if it's not you know, grand success this year, because I think we're all in agreement. We don't see this team having grand success this year, but if you can at least see the outline to be able to make moves and bring in other pieces where you see fit, if the starting lineup to success can become Kyra Lewis, Trey Murphy, Brandon Ingram, Zion, and Jackson Hayes, then I think we're talking. But I don't know if I buy that those two bookend players are ready to step into the starting lineup at some point and handle more of that responsibility. I just I think this team's going to need at least another year to see some of that form together. And another year, David Griffin's already apparently on the clock with, with Zion's mm-hmm. camp. So that yeah, I, to, to answer your question, Jacob, well your 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 second question, I, I I yeah, I don't see him being there. Fred, what do you think? Yeah, I don't see him being there either. And I think really what it's going to take to keep him there would be for Zion to actually come out and like publicly endorse him. Anything short of that, I don't think is enough just because he is everything to that franchise, Zion that is. And if he if he doesn't have a, not only like like a, a great relationship, but like a relationship at all with David Griffin, like it's just that that's not the guy you want there. And I think we've seen that teams are not hesitant to move on from the front office guys. We saw Gerson Rosas and Minnesota and um, you know, I, I could see something similar with new Orleans uh, but um, you know, or, or maybe if they re- far exceed expectations this season, everybody seems happy. Maybe he's there, but I just, I don't think it's going to be enough to keep him there. I think there's going to be somebody else in that position this time. Uh, a- next year. A- everybody loves the idea of point Zion, myself included, but given everything that we've already seen with Zion's medical history, just keeping and keeping and keeping more responsibility on his plate to not only be the primary scoring option for this team, but also the primary playmaking option, if that's really the direction they're going ahead. I'm sorry, that's not a recipe for success. You can't ask Zion to do every single thing for this team offensively both from a scoring standpoint and an initiation standpoint you have to get the point guard situation figured out you have to have another capable lead ball handler there next to zion and in between zion and brandon ingram and you have to let those guys focus on what they do best which is ultimately score the basketball first and make plays for somebody else second you need somebody else in that lineup who can just be the guy to figure everything out for the offense. I don't think that should be Zion full time. And until they get that point guard situation figured out, I just don't see how this team progresses forward any more than, than what they did last year. But um, so sorry to have a little bit of a bleak outlook for the new Orleans Pelicans, because they are one of my favorite teams to watch because of Zion and Brendan Ingram. But that's just, that's where I sit with the team right now. So Jacob, who's next, my friend. Next up. We're gonna go to yeah, we're gonna go to Houston. And my question for the Houston Rockets is who ends this season? I think we can assume Houston are gonna make the playoffs. We can we can 
we can pencil that in. So just in the regular season. No, we're gonna we're gonna sharpie that in, Jacob. I'm sharpie. <laughs> we're, gonna, that in. we're gonna sharpie in. Etch it in stone. That yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who will be the top scorer for this team this year? Oh wow. Yeah. This this question hurts. This this oh. fucking hurts. So oh. the sensible the, the sensible man in me should say Christian Wood. The the very excited draft analyst in me wants to say Jalen Green, but then the the gambling man in me wants to say Kevin Porter Jr. And I might I might say Kevin Porter Jr. just for the fun of it because I think that he's going to have a tremendous tremendous breakout year. I think that the, this whole thing with wanting to not necessarily have John Wall there it's it's not. It's not because of only losing games. I think that they see something in Kevin Porter Jr. They see some of the success that he had last year. And honestly, this man has every trick in the book when it comes to scoring the basketball from the point guard position. He can make a shot from anywhere on the floor. He has one of the most underrated and slickest handles in the NBA. He has all of the craft. He has the step back moves. He can shoot from the outside. His playmaking does have just a few small levels that can go up a little bit to really make him a standout, like a six, seven, eight assist point guard, maybe in like another year as he gets more comfortable playing the position full time. I probably envision him having somewhere between four to five assists per game this year, but I think next year that could take a jump. But really when we talk about scoring and what he's going to be able to do now that He'll be much more comfortable in the role. You have guys like Christian Wood. You have Daniel Tice. You bring in Alper and Shengun and Usman Garuba. You have multiple bigs who are very comfortable both picking and rolling to the basket as well as picking and popping. And just setting KPJ up in a system where not a lot of hard decisions need to be made. It's a lot of easy, simple, one or two look reads. That's how you're going to get him more comfortable passing the basketball on a full-time basis. And that's how you're going to unlock more of his playmaking game. It's, it's taking the baby steps and then evolving it out a little bit. And this is a very young team. They're not going to be running any complex offense. As long as these guys are on their toes, they're diligent, and they get themselves open and they execute correctly, Kevin Porter Jr. will be able to make the easy passes. So I see him being the complete offensive dynamo for this team. And the more situations where you get him in different pick and roll, pick and pop plays, he's also going to be able to score out of those sets as well, I think at a very high level. So I'm going to go with Kevin Porter Jr. and have fun with it. What do you, what do you think, Jacob? Um, I honestly didn't know the answer when I asked the question. I just thought it would be a really horrible question to ask. For <laughs> <laughs> the most part. Yeah, I... A bit like you, it came down to those kind of three guys, Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, and Christian Wood. Obviously, Christian Wood, the established 20-point-per-game scorer. The guy who probably, right now, has the most kind of... I think, I think I'm going to go with Christian Wood, just because I see the amount of space and the amount of pressure. I think Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. can put on a defense. I think Christian Wood is going to be the outlet for that pressure. And I think he having that experience will probably mean that it's going to be him as, you know, a 20, 19 point per game scorer. Cause I don't, 
if Jalen Green averages 20 points per game, then he is just going to explode in popularity. I think the same is probably true with Kevin Porter Jr. to an extent because, like you said, he has a lot of point guard skills. He has quite an attractive game, maybe not the explosive kind of um, interest that someone like Jalen Green can grab off TV screens. But yeah, I think I'm going to go with the conservative kind of answer that Christian Woods, the guy who is currently the best scorer on the team, will be the best scorer again next year, I think. So can I can I give you a hot take before Brett answers the question? I think mm. that all I think that all three of them are going to average twenty plus points per game. Ooh. I think they're all I think they're all going to pour in the numbers because I don't see I don't see where the consistent offense comes elsewhere on this team. You have Eric Gordon on the bench, DJ Augustine. How much does that guy really have left in the tank? To be perfectly mm. honest, Daniel Tice is in an offensive dynamo. Shangun Shangun and Garuba are still really young. They're figuring things out. Kenyon Martin Jr. may be a sneaky candidate to to kind of be like the 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 fourth or fifth leading scorer on the team, even if he's coming off the bench, because I think that they just have so many different ways to be able to get somebody like him involved. But yeah, I just I don't see where the offense is going to come from on a consistent basis anywhere else. So I think that all three of those guys are going to go off this year. Yeah, I mean, I look, man, that wouldn't surprise me at all. And it's for exactly what you said, because behind those three guys and other than Eric Gordon, it's like, who else is really going to score? Okay, yeah, maybe KJ Martin's like a double-figure scorer. Uh, but that wouldn't surprise me at all if they all hit 20. I definitely think they're all going to be in that neighborhood. Um, look, you're not going to find a bigger Kevin Porter Jr. fan than me. I, I, I love that kid. Um, and he showed what he can do as a scorer after coming up from the G League last year. He scored 50 points in a game at the age of 20. I believe he was the fourth youngest player ever to score 50 uh, behind LeBron, Brandon Jennings, and Devin Booker. Uh, so we know what he can do. He's a bucket. But I also think they're going all in on point guard KPJ. And I just think that creating for others is going to be emphasized. And I think he's willingly going to play that role. And that's not to say he won't approach 20 point games or, or possibly even 20 points per game or possibly even exceed it. But I think he'll be right around that neighborhood. My, my choice is Christian Wood here. Um, he averaged an even, an even 21 last season. And I think he could exceed that by a couple of points per game this season. Um, I, I, I expect him to take another jump. He's just turned 26 years old. He's still young. And obviously he's kind of a late bloomer. He could continue upward on his trajectory as a player for the next couple of seasons. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, one thing to look at from last season is he only shot 63% from the foul line, which is well below his career average. And I think we can all agree he's a much better shooter than that. Um, so I think we could see that jump to well above 70%. Maybe his attempts go up from just about five. And that in itself could boost him to you know 23 points a game something like that so i'm gonna go with christian wood as far as jalen green like i mean if any rookie was gonna just explode and average like 23 24 points a game it would probably be him i'm not saying i see that happening but he he is um he does project to be an, an elite scorer i just think he's gonna he's gonna have some trouble as a rookie just kind of based on his frame and the nature of his game um he's gonna hit hit some walls i think here from time to time struggle a little bit with efficiency um, if I had to guess, I'd say him and KPJ are both right around 20 points per game and Wood is probably about 23. Uh, and then beyond that, yeah, who knows? But somehow this team's going to end up having to get to like 100. So 
you know, maybe, maybe we see KJ Martin average 16, 17 points a game this season. Somebody's going to kind of break out on this team. I think off the bench. Can, 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 can I be the leader in the clubhouse for that? Kenya Martin jr. Should be starting over Daniel Tice, like starting Daniel Tice at the power forward spot is so boring. Like Kenya Martin jr. I think is, is why he, he really wowed me last year. He proved that he clearly should have not been. I think he was picked in the forties. He should not have been picked in the forties. Um, I think that just given again, his play last year, some of the stuff I was seeing in summer league, I think that man's ready to go and him and Jay Sean Tate together in the front court brings, I think a lot more versatility defensively than Daniel Tice and Jay Sean Tate in the front court in front court. Um, so that's personally, if I was coach Silas, that that's what I would do. What, what do you guys think about what that starting lineup should ultimately look like? I'm, I'm with you on that, bro. A hundred percent. Um, I, I've said as much in the past. I, I would love to see him starting. And he, he was nothing but impressive to me last year. He was one of the biggest pleasant surprises uh, in terms of rookies. And I've heard he's been working on his outside shot. I think that could be a big swing skill for him early in his career, uh, seeing how quickly he can get up to being a, a truly respectable three-point shooter. But he certainly has some pretty good size and uh, elite athleticism. So, yeah, him and Jay Sean, that, that's where I'd like to go with the starting five. But it does seem like Tice is the expected starter. And that's just not that exciting. I mean, I think it's all about player development with this team. And I know you do want to have some stability with veterans, uh, but I don't really see a need to start him. I, I almost think Tice is more of a center in the modern NBA than a power forward. I don't think he makes a ton of sense next to Christian Wood, um, even though he is a nice player. So, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one, man. A hundred percent. Yeah, I see. I think it's probably just a matter of experience at this point. It might be Silas's own philosophy that maybe he doesn't want to start a you know six foot six small forward at the power forward slot or whatever. Maybe he just prefers to go slightly bigger lineup. I mean, Tice is not a big center by any means. He must be one of the smallest guys listed at center in the NBA, really. But yeah, like he's got a good mid-range shot. He's he's all right. Like he like like you say, he's a boring choice, but I can see why they went with that and they wanted to bring Kenyon Martin Jr. along a little bit slower just to make sure because he does look like he's got a lot of potential that he could be you know a starter in this league for a long time. But maybe they just they don't want to throw him out there just yet when they can play him behind someone like Daniel Tice just for a little bit longer. Like if you told me Kenya Martin ends the season as their starting power forward, I wouldn't be shocked. But at the same time, I'm, you know, it's it's like, you know, with quarterbacks, like, you know, you start, you start the, the 10 year veteran over the star rookie just to, just to, just to give the guy a little bit more time. And I know Kenya Martin's not a rookie, but like, just to give him a little bit, he only had like half a season last year really with all the COVID stuff with um, not being in the lineups. So uh, yeah, I, I still feel like he might have a bit more development before he's ready for that kind of jump. Listen, boys, I'm all for the Houston Rockets express. I'm going to watch a ton of them on league pass. I already have the day on the calendar circled when I'm going to see them in person against the 76ers. I I'm going to watch so much of this team they're just going to be fun it's going to be like a basketball release for me when 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 i've had too much of, of scouting the young guys in in the college ranks i want to flip on an nba game for fun i can promise you 
the Rockets are going to be one of those teams that, that I'm flipping on. But um, let, let, let's move on here. Jacob, next team. Uh, um, so I wanted to go with the San Antonio Spurs. And my question is, I think it's quite a simple question. Bear in mind that the San Antonio Spurs is over under is set at 28 and a half, or it was last time I saw San Antonio Spurs had an over under of 28 and a half wins. Is the consensus underrating this team? Uh, no, because I don't think they're going to be good. (laughs) I really, I really don't think they're going to be good. (laughs) Um, And that that's not a slight against pop, but listen, man, Lonnie Walker has been in the doghouse for as long as he's been in San Antonio, as much as Doug McDermott can get hot and and ruin some games for teams. I I don't know if Doug McDermott is the best answer at the small forward spot. Is Devin Vassell really ready to step into that starting lineup and contribute in a much bigger way than he did his rookie year? Um, How much do do Thaddeus Young and uh, Alfred Aminu have in the tank? Is Jakob Pertl really as good of a defensive center as everybody wants to say he is all the time? And can can DeJounte Murray and Derek White, can they just stay healthy, period? Or is Trey Jones going to be slotted into the lineup for, for one of those guards at some point? So, like, there, there's just between health, fit, and talent level. To me, there's just too many question marks on the Spurs, in my personal opinion, to comfortably go with the over on a mark of, like, 28 and a half, even even God, even you set the line a little game lower, 27 and a half, I'm probably still taking the under. I think this is like a 25-win team, to, to be perfectly oh. honest. I, I may I may maybe I'm just gonna be the Debbie Downer, but may, maybe maybe I've just been burned by some of these guys and believing in them too many times. I will the, the caveat, the caveat would be Murray and White staying healthy for the entire season, Vassell being a very valuable bench contributor. And Keldon Johnson building off of his Team USA campaign, and he just becomes a legitimate, legitimate star. If those three things happen, then you start to see this team take off, and and they explode. They they get up to that like thirty, anywhere between like thirty five, thirty nine wins. Which to me, no, that's not playoffs in the West, but that would be a massive success compared to where I'm pegging them right now. So I don't know, Brett. Do you see anything differently with San Antonio, or am I just a Debbie Downer? Yeah, I'm a little more optimistic than you, man. For me, that was an easy over. I don't think they're going to be a playoff team, probably not even quite a play-in team. Um, but I don't I don't see them like in that bottom, you know, three, even maybe four in the West. I don't know, I, maybe like 10, 11. Uh, but I do think they'll exceed that over-under. Um, I mean, they're, they're an interesting team. Like they're solid because they've got a lot of, good players the thing is they just don't have any star or even anyone resembling a star unless DeJounte or Keldon were to make another big leap which is very possible and if that were to happen yeah they might have a guy that could be considered a star I think those are the two that really have the potential to do it this season but assuming that doesn't happen um other than like the real bottom feeders like Orlando and um you know maybe the Cavs like there aren't too many other teams that have less star power but if you just look down their roster like they've got a lot of legit nba players dejounte murray Bryn forbes Derek white lonnie walker devin vassell doug mcdermott keldon johnson thad young Jakob pertle zach collins like they are solid they have like 10 good nba players 
So are you, yeah, but how, how confident are you that like a decent number of those guys can even play like 65 to 70 games? Like that's the thing. Like they just all miss time. Uh, Yeah. 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 I mean, DeJounte's had his injury concerns, but I'm not as worried about him going forward. It would mostly be like, Zach Collins, obviously. I mean, I don't. I don't even. He's not going to be ready for the start of the season. I don't know. Maybe December, January for him. He he's just kind of a a wild card for them. Like a kind of a low risk, high reward move, bringing him in. But I do like him as a player. But I'm not really factoring him into this because he he's a total question mark in terms of health. But I mean, I guess like my my big question with this team is like, what's their kind of like wing, like their shooting guard, small forward. Uh, rotation or, or pecking order really going to look like uh, by the end of this year, like, or even by mid season, like does, does Devin Vassell get more minutes than Lonnie Walker? Where does Doug McDermott fit in? Like is Keldon more of a three or more of a four this season? If Thaddeus young sticks around and starts at the four, Keldon's probably got to play three. Uh, so I just think that's like their biggest question mark. And it's funny. Cause that's, I, I probably said the exact same thing about them last year. And then they yeah. lose, they lose DeMar and they lose Rudy Gay and Patty Mills. And yet it still feels really crowded. Um, They just have so many of those guys. And I'm a big Lonnie Walker guy. And like, I'm not as all in on him as I once was just because I think he did have some good opportunities last year. And he just lacks a little bit of assertiveness. Uh, But there's no question about the talent. I mean, he's got star talent. It's just like, will he ever, you know, be confident enough out there on the court to really put it together? Um, but again, it's like if he's playing behind Derek White and if Vassell jumps him in the rotation, it's like, when's he ever really going to do it? So it's like, you know, I have a lot of questions about this team just in terms of the rotation. and But at the same time, I think they do exceed that over under to sort of answer the question. And that's just because of their culture, their coaching, and because they do have a lot of good NBA players. And if they are trying to win and, and, and make a run at the play-in, a guy like Thaddeus Young is, is going to be really valuable for them. And I think Doug McDermott as well. He's coming off an awesome season. And so is Thad. Both of those guys um, are coming off two of their better seasons, really, uh, of their careers. So uh, so I think I think those, those two guys could translate to some wins, assuming that winning is, in fact, prioritized with this team this year. What do you think, what do you think Jacob? Yeah, I, I was shocked. Like, to me, this was the easiest over of any team in the NBA. It might have been the easiest over or under for me of any team in the NBA. I cannot see any reality, any multiversal reality where a uh, Popovich-led team, this Popovich-led team, with the amount of talent they have, like, say, they don't have stars, but they probably go 8 to 10 deep in good NBA players or NBA players with clear upside or established veterans like Thad Young or Dougie McBuckets. I, to, the idea that they wouldn't win 29 games to me is just outrageous. That is just like mind-boggling. Like I, I said on our preview pod, I would be more surprised if this team came like 11th or 12th than I would if this team came like 7th or 8th. I would be a lot more surprised if this team, like, I do think they probably end up around like the 10th, 9th slot, but I do think they're a playing team. I like all these guys. The thing, the thing with them. And like, I kind of remember saying this about the Knicks last year is like, no matter how bad their offense is, they're going to be so good defensively that they might make some noise. And I really think this spurt that applies to this Spurs team. When you look at 
DeJounte is an all defensive caliber defender. Jakob Pertl might be the most underrated defensive player in the NBA. Anytime I watch the Spurs, I always say this, but like you can see the fear in the guys going to the rim when Jakob Pertl's there. He he terrorizes uh, and terrifies opponents that that are attacking the rim. Like he he is a presence in there. And then you add in a, a versatile player like Thad Young, Devin Vassell. I think has a lot of Mikhail Bridges in him defensively, kind of to be that kind of player. So, and then just with the coaching, like, I think this is going to be a good defensive team for real. And I think that gives them a floor where they're not dreadful, where like, they're at least a 30 win team. Man, you're, you're you on your it. own here, Nathan. You're on your I, own I, on this I, one, I, buddy. I <laughs> I'm expecting it. So if I'm, if I'm correct, they were, they were 33 and 39 last year, right? Yeah, that was that was with Demar Derozan, Rudy Gay. So they had Patty Mills. They had better vets in place. Now you're essentially stripping those guys away. You're not necessarily replacing them with anything of significant value. So basically, you're saying that those guys wouldn't be worth like four to five to six wins. Subtraction from the team. I'm saying right now, absolutely, I'm saying that. But what is the 30? All right, the 30... Jake, Jake, Jacob doesn't give a shit about the Mars and Rosen. We have it on podcast. Got it. <laughs> we have it on podcast. We, we have, we have it on we, podcast. We've been known that. Also, also Rudy Gay. Like the Patty Mills loss. I'll give you the Patty Mills. That's a loss. But also, it's the position where they have the most of their draft equity in recent drafts has gone to that 2-3 slot. So, like, I'm, I'm okay with them letting go of Patty Mills. DeMar DeRozan, I think, actively makes teams worse. So... To me, it's almost like, hey, 33 is our floor, guys. Next year. There's going to be, there's gonna be some shit season. talking. There's going to be some shit talking in the Facebook group. I can right. see it now. Jacob's going to keep track of this. And he's going to, every time the Spurs win a game, he's going to like tag me in a Facebook right. post. I can see it. I've already, I've already laid it out. But I think <laughs> San Antonio are going to be better than people think. And Chicago will be worse than people think. It entirely comes down to that man. Yeah. All right. All right, so we're, we're we're all right. We we should we'll, we'll we'll find a way to make a side bet at some point yeah. outside I'm of this down, podcast, Jacob. We'll 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 figure it out. So that th- that's enough of San Antonio. They, they I'm sorry, San Antonio just bores me to death. I, I I'm not I'm not a fan of watching the Spurs. I'm just not. But I hope that that changes with Devin Vassell continuing to develop into this year. Kelvin Johnson getting better. Maybe if Dejounte Murray has a fully healthy year, maybe I'll be more enthused to watch the Spurs. I'm just usually not, but Jacob, who's next? Next up, we have Dallas Mavericks. You know, I couldn't go to the Dallas Mavericks without talking about the boy, El Nino, Wonder Boy, Luca, Luca Legend. What, hmm, how to phrase this? What does Luca have to do to win MVP this year? Uh, his team around him needs to not be trash. That's exactly what needs <laughs> to happen. I think if that happens, I think Luca is favorited by a lot of odds makers to win MVP for a reason. I mean, last year, the 20, almost 28 points, eight, eight rebounds, nine assists per game with a 25.3 PER. Like, I could absolutely see him averaging like 39 to nine this year. And I think if he does that, and I think if the Mavericks are technically outperforming everyone's expectations from a regular season standpoint, they end up like the third seed in the West. 
I think if Luka just goes off and averages bonkers numbers on better shooting splits and yeah, he gets the team in like a third or fourth position in the Western conference. Yeah. I do think he's the MVP. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say like top four in the West with the numbers that I'm expecting Luca to have this season. I think Luca's is going to be the best player in the NBA this season. I'm just wow. going to come out and say that. Oh, yeah, and, I'm, and that's not, that's not to say he's definitely going to be the MVP, but I think this time next year, you know, after next season, I think he's going to be the consensus best player in the league or, you know, the one that wins that poll. When we take that, who's the best player in the league poll. Uh, I think this is his year where he takes over. I mean, I've always thought he would get there at some point, And I think this is the year that he does it. And so there's that. <laughs> and so I think that, that, that certainly goes a long way. Obviously his numbers are going to be absolutely insane. Um, I may or may not have put a little bit of money on Dallas to win the NBA title when oh we were in God. Las Vegas for summer league, just be, you know, the odds, I forget what the odds were, but it was, it was pretty favorable. So I, I put a few bucks down on that, but uh, I think oh, this oh, over was, under how many drinks were you when you made that bet? Oh, Nathan, I think you, you know, <laughs> I think, you know, it's the over no matter what, no matter where it's set. Um, <laughs> I think, look, I, and, and also another thing is I'm a Jason Kidd believer. I think Jason Kidd is an imaginative, creative, innovative coach. Um, and I think if you look at his track record, he's had a lot of success in his first year in places. I hope it sustains longer than that with Dallas. Um, but I do think we're going to get a little Jason Kidd boost too. And the fact that Luca is essentially a point guard, uh, whatever you want to call him, I'd call him a point guard at this point. I think there's going to be some synergy between two of the most brilliant basketball minds we've seen in the NBA between Luca and Jason Kidd. I think it's going to be beautiful. I think Jason Kidd's going to do a lot for Luca as, as great as he already is. So I, again, I think he's going to be the best player in the NBA. I think he's going to have the best stats in the NBA. And I think if Dallas can secure a top, even a top five seed, that will exceed expectations enough to where he is the MVP. He, he's my pick. And I think there's a pretty clear path for him to get there. Yeah, like, I think maybe Jokic kind of laid the table last year in that, you know, the team, like I, I was beating the drum from early, like, look, this guy is having one of the great regular seasons we've ever seen. But the record was kind of holding them back, and eventually they climbed, I believe, I believe into the fourth seed. Well, they might, end, they might have even ended up in the third seed in the end, and that kind of solidified it. And then injuries, obviously, everyone else fell away. There was no way anyone was going to pick and Well, some people picked Embiid, but most people weren't going to pick Embiid after, you know, he misses like 20 games right in the heart of the season. I think that sets a precedent in some ways for Luca that if you can be a top four seed, if you can average, you know, 28, eight and eight across an NBA season, you're going to get a lot of traction in the MVP discussion. I think you probably will. I don't know if I think he'll be the best player in the league. I don't know if I think he'll win MVP, honestly. Like, I just I feel like the amount we put the MVP in things that are outside that player's control, like the team record, like the, the players around him. Like I think there's a lot that we use in the MVP discussion, which isn't about the player themselves. I think that will still for a while hold Luca back because I don't like, I like, I like most of the players they have on this team, 
but n- it's not an exciting team. Like you swap Luca out for a, just a starting point guard, just swap Luca out for fucking Kyle Lowry. This team is one of the worst teams in the Western Conference. My can opinion. I push back on that a little bit though. Like, you, 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 go ahead, because I was going to ask the same question, Brett. That's, no, well, that's I think where I was going. Is, I think this is where we're all going with this team, where everybody seems to be talking about is like the construction of this roster outside of Luka. It's almost as if it's talked about as Luka and a bunch of nobodies. Tim Hardaway Jr. is coming off a career year, obviously. But I think the guy we really need to talk about here is Kristaps Porzingis. Yep. Okay? Yeah, it is. Yep. He missed 30 games last year, or 29, I think, to be specific. Uh, and when he was playing, I do not think he was 100%. But if you look at the 2019-20 season, okay, first of all, to play that season, he came back after like, I think like 650 days of not playing. You know, he was out for a long time. He missed an entire season and then some. Uh, But if you look at after he got his legs under him, say the last 20 games of the 2019-20 regular season before the playoffs, Kristaps averaged 27 points, 11 rebounds, in two blocks a game. I think he was shooting about 38% on threes on pretty high volume. And then obviously he had good numbers too in the playoffs uh, before he got hurt. I think they probably win that series against the Clippers if he doesn't get hurt. He was playing great and his chemistry with Luka was fantastic. And it just seems like after a disappointing 2021 season, um, it's kind of been forgotten that he's actually a pretty good pairing with Luca, and they actually did have quite a bit of, su- of success a historically great offense obviously that season uh you can say what you want about his faults they there are some but I think he's a much better player than he showed last year I don't think he was ever 100 percent. and again he missed a ton of time so if we can get a healthy and it's a big if if we can get a healthy a 100 healthy Chris Stapps um this coming season I think you've got enough in terms of star power to be a contender See, my my issue with that is that, um, yeah, I think Chris Stapps, especially like before the injury, everyone knows he was on a like a superstar trajectory. You can assume my issue is that generally, especially for someone his size and for the amount of injury issues he's had in the last like, at this point, it's going on like four years that Chris Stapps since the injury. So, you know, we think of it as like, oh, yeah, he's still young. He's still got all this time left. And he does, but he has just turned 26. So he's not, he should be in his prime right now. And my issue is, I th- I think what we've seen, what he's lost defensively compared to him at his peak level defensively, which was probably, you know, like two, three, four years ago at this point. And what, what position was he playing, Jacob, when he was at his peak defensively? What position? He was playing power forward at his peak. However... I'd, I think he's going to, you know, whatever value you put on his peak defensively, I think he's never going to reach that level again. I think he's always going to be, you know, a couple ticks down from that just because, you know, he's not going to reclaim that athleticism at this point, I don't think, that he had. Like, the injuries have just sapped too much of it at too young of an age. And, like, he, he thinks of himself as a star and fair play for that. But at the same time, you're super valuable as a floor spacer around Luca. Like you need to be picking and popping. You need to be stretching to the corner. You need to be uh, playing above the break. Like we can't have you. Like he doesn't want to be in the low post, but I think he also doesn't want to be a spot up shooter. And that kind of creates this issue where it's like, yeah, but 
you look at our offense, our offense is like the best offense ever when you are a spot up shooter. So why don't you just, you know, be a team player and give up your ego to play with Luca? And will he do that? I don't know. I don't know. It, like it's it's a harsh thing to to say to someone, be like, hey, yeah, you think you're a star player. A lot of people have told you you're a star player for years. Just stand in the corner and take three pointers. <laughs> For, especially when you're in your prime, like I don't know if he's going to be able to do that, honestly. So the the whole way that this works, and, and I and I agree with you, Jacob. But unfortunately, I don't think that given his current health, given where he's at, given the fact that you pointed out he's not going to get some of that athleticism back, he needs to be a center. He needs to be a center for this team. He needs to be able to protect the rim at a much better rate than he did last year. He cannot be completely useless defending from the center spot. That in turn, if he's playing as the true big in the lineup, he's able to do a lot of the other things offensively that he, that he probably wants to do. He doesn't have to just stand in the corner to space the floor playing next to somebody like Dwight Powell, who's literally his only use on offense pretty much is either scoring in transition, being a rim runner, or acting as a diver on, on like pick and rolls with, with Luka. Like Dwight Powell isn't offering you much of any other versatility offensively, at least not to the kind of level that warrants just keeping Chris Porzingis in the corner for, for almost an entire game, turning him into a spot-up shooter. So Chris Tapps needs to be able to play the five. Then you can have Dorian Finney-Smith at the power forward spot, um, small, small ball four, very versatile, very capable defender at that spot. And then when you have that front court figured out, you can slot in one of Reggie Bullock, Josh Green, or I'll throw even another dark horse name out there for that three spot, Sterling Brown. You could have one of those three in there who are probably going to be better defensive options to put as long as everything with Chris Stapps being at the center works defensively. Uh, I, I'd be much more enthused about a lineup defensively of Chris Stapps, Dorian Finney-Smith, and one of those wings than I am with two of those players and then having Powell in there because Tim Hardaway Jr. is not a plus defender. I would consider him – he's not below average. I consider him average. And Luca on his absolute best day, is going to be an average defender. You need more defense in there, and you can't just rely on – Luca creating every single thing for everybody else and him being one of the only consistent offensive weapons, you need to also be able to go down on the other end of the court and stop people. And that's really that if, if, if that lineup that I just talked about, if that can be a thing, then I agree with the both of you. Then we have something here for, for a team, but if Porzingis and Powell, if, if that's the answer, then I, I don't know. I, I don't know how this team excels defensively, and I don't know where they end up finishing in the Western Conference. Like, the, the Porzingis at center thing, it, it has to work. Yeah, and I mean, to be clear, like, I'm not, like, I'm not saying, I'm not picking them to win the title. Like, I just like the odds. Um, but in order to to be a legit contender, like, they're, they're for sure going to have to be at least an average defense. But I think yep. on top of that, they've got enough offensive firepower they do. to absolutely be that. So, yeah, let's just get to, like, the 15th best defense in the league. And I think I think then they're right there in the mix. Um, I agree. What about, what about Moses Brown? Kind of, a, kind of a wild card. I wonder, you know, I wonder what Luka can sort of turn him into offensively um, and, and how much pressure that can sort of take off, off KP to, to really uh, thrive around the rim. Because I don't know. I, I don't see – obviously, KP doesn't have a post game. Um, you know, he is mostly a shooter, but – uh, but Moses Brown's going to be kind of interesting. Like I'm not a big Moses Brown, Brown believer. I never really have been. But at the same time, when you're playing alongside Luca, um, he 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 might be able to do some things. He obviously put up some good numbers uh, with OKC last season. Not that that always 
means much. And the last thing I'm going to say about KP is like, look, we're talking about him like he had he sucked last year, almost, or that's how most people seem to be talking. Yeah, he averaged 20 and nine, and he had a 21 per. So he didn't suck. No, but. that's what I'm saying. Yeah, he was 25 years old, seven foot three, averaged 20 and nine, and he shot 48, 38, 86. Like, I mean, yeah, he didn't suck. No, and I think the rim protection is where we will see him bounce back, assuming he is at full health. Where like, and I know, like we we all know well enough that blocks aren't the greatest indicator of rim protection ability anymore in the NBA. But still, you saw his blocks go from you know 2.0, 2.4, a couple seasons in, seasons in New York to 2.0 in 2019, 20, and then all of a sudden to 1.3 last season. So I think that drop off right there is indicative of. Uh, his decline as a, a a rim protector. And hopefully that's just a temporary decline, you know, from the Mavs standpoint. And I think that's one of the things that we're really going to see bounce back is his, um, you know, his, his impact as a rim protector. If he's back to full health. I, I'm all for experimenting a little more with, with Moses Brown or even Willie Cauley Stein at, at, at the center position. I'm, I'm all for it, but it, it, we just, we, we got to get out of this whole, like Dwight Powell needs to be your starting center in an NBA line. We, we gotta, we gotta get away from that. I understand how effective of a pick and roll scoring threat he is when, when, when he's in the role man spot, I, I understand the numbers are awesome, but he is a one trick pony and that's it. And this team is looking to take a step to go to the next level. He is not it defensively. They need to do, they, they need to do something else. If they can, if they can remove themselves from that, if Jason Kidd can say enough is enough, then yeah, Brett, I'm a lot more optimistic about the chance. I think that's really the first move that needs to take place within that team is Dwight Powell. Not saying get rid of him. I'm not saying boot him off the team. I just don't think he's your best option at at, at starting center. Jacob, do you agree with that or disagree? No, yeah, I don't. I I didn't think Dwight Powell would be starting for this team. Honestly, I wasn't. I, I assumed Chris Stapps. I think Jason Kidd came out and said today that he's going to be the starting center. So really, okay, yes, okay. Well, well, Jason Kidd making smart decisions from from the jump. <laughs> we'll see. That's uh, what that's what I'm saying. He needs he needs to like be the guy who says at some point like, all right, enough is enough. Like he he's got to do it. He's got he's got to make the change. If once he makes that change, I think it's going to start putting a lot of other things in place for for the Mavericks. And maybe we see more of what Brett's exactly talking about that they really can be a team challenging towards the top of the West, and Luca can actually win an MVP award see <laughs> we'll we'll uh, see man well we'll we'll see we're already off to a, a fantabulous start for for dallas with jason kidd at the helm lordy lordy man i already feel like i need a drink and we're only four teams in on the podcast all right all right jacob that means that the memphis grizzlies are last but not least in this right. division we we already heard from your dog memphis earlier in the podcast now we need to actually talk <laughs> about the real memphis grizzlies what what is what is your question for this team that is still beloved and dear to my heart? <laughs> and and to mine, Nathan, and to mine. My question is, because I am quite bullish on this team. I don't know relative to the rest of the um kind of media landscape how bullish I am, but my question is, why shouldn't we think that Memphis will make the top eight teams in the West this year? Like, is there a reason why they won't? Because I see a lot of people say, you know, they, they're kind of writing Memphis off in that kind of discussion because I think there are some more kind of high, kind of more attractive teams to 
um, put in that kind of discussion like Golden State, like the Clippers, blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying Memphis will be better than those, but those are getting more kind of traction when there are still flaws in their rosters. Why shouldn't the Memphis Grizzlies be like getting penciled in as a top eight team in the West this year? Uh, I can't answer that for you, Jacob, because I think that they should be sharpied in the top eight of the Western Conference this year. Right? Sharpied. Um, and the main reason I'm saying, first of all, this is the deepest team in the NBA, I think, without question. Their, their second lineup, right? Their second lineup of Tyus Jones, DeAnthony Melton, Desmond Bain, Brandon Clark, and Xavier Tillman. Maybe DeAnthony Melton ends up starting. Maybe Kyle Anderson's with that group. I don't know. But regardless of like the combination of that second unit you want to go with, I think that second unit could itself could finish like 12th or 13th in the Western Conference just by itself. Mm-hmm. Like that lineup out there would not be one of the three worst teams in the Western Conference. And then you add to the fact that that starting lineup does include John Morant, Dylan Brooks, Jaron Jackson Jr. As long as he's healthy, he will t- continue to take steps forward, as Brett and I have talked about. And now you throw in Steven Adams. And even past those 10 guys, you still have interesting options who could end up contributing like Jared Culver, um, Chris Dunn, I believe, is is going to be on this team. Zaire Williams, who who the hell knows? Maybe Zaire Williams completely surprises the majority of us in the draft community, and he actually comes out ready to contribute like a top 10 pick at some point this year, just continuing to add to the depth of this team. Like, I, I, you can throw in an injury. Maybe Jaron Jackson still just can't stay healthy for whatever reason, but you plug in Xavier Tillman or Brandon Clark, or you slide up Kyle Anderson, you play another guard or a wing in that lineup. Like, even with an injury like that, I don't see how this team finishes lower than than eighth in the West. I, I agree with you, Jacob. What about you, Brett? I mean, here's my argument for why I don't think they're going to finish top eight. Utah, Phoenix, Denver, <laughs> Clippers, Dallas, Portland, Lakers, Warriors. I mean, that's eight right there. So it's like, it's not that they're going to be a bad team. I think they're going to be probably around 500, maybe a little above that. Um, And then you even look at a team like New Orleans, who has the upside to be better than them. Like, I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if New Orleans was better than Memphis. But for me, it's just like, I I think there's eight better teams. And um, I mean, the the thing with Memphis is that they're so young. I think I talked about this on our Western Conference preview as well. But like, their two best players are, what, 22 years old? in Jaron Jackson and, and John Morant, it's like when your two best players are 22, like how far can you go? I'm not saying you can't go far, but historically speaking, it's unlikely. Um, I, I think the Valanchunas loss is going to, they're going to feel that more than people are kind of talking about, especially in the regular season. Uh, he, he was very good for them. Um, he, I think he contributed to a lot of their success in the regular season. There's no doubt. Um, so I don't know. It's like, this is a hard team for me to talk about because like we, we talked on our young chorus pod, like, you know how high I am on triple J. I, I absolutely love him. I think he's a unicorn. I think he's going to be awesome. And I do expect him to be at full health. And I love Ja too. Um, as we talked about on the Eastern conference, 15 questions that we recorded yesterday. It's like, I, I think that rookie class gets looked at a little bit funny where like they, they sort of exceeded expectations um, the first year. And then with the quick turnaround going into the second year, there was some sort of disappointing seasons. It's not like Ja had a disappointing season, but he didn't take like the leap we expected him to as a shooter. But it's like, yo, you only had a couple months between seasons. Uh, so, you know, I, 
I love those guys, but I just think they're like another year away. If we were doing, if we were talking about the, the 22, 23 season, I'd say for sure Memphis is a top eight team. Like one of those ones above them is going to fall off, but going into this season, I just think there's eight better teams and I have them as like the nine or 10. I think them in new Orleans will probably be like my nine and 10. Can, uh, can, so can, can I counter argument your argument? Uh, no, please, please. So you, you ran through a lot of really good teams. If they're at full strength, Denver has already suffered a massive loss with Jamal Murray. He will not be with the team. The Golden State Warriors, we, we expect Clay to come back, but what if he doesn't come back as, as well as we're expecting him to? Or what if Steph gets hurt again? I'm, I'm not going to throw that outside of the realm of possibility. The Clippers, they're already without Kawhi Leonard. If Paul George goes down, because Paul George hasn't exactly been the healthiest player throughout his career either. If Paul George goes down for whatever reason and misses time, who the hell is going to be the next guy to step up for, for that team? Um, we've already seen the Lakers. What, what if Anthony Davis doesn't come back and, and fully add to that lineup? What if he continues to miss time? Or hell, what if LeBron, for whatever reason, maybe misses time? The, the reason why I'm saying all of that is I just, I'm not convinced that all eight of those teams are going to look the same from start to finish through the course of the season. I'm not just talking about a few of those guys missing like four or five games or, or even six games. I'm talking about somebody on one or two of those teams really good is going to miss significant time. I just, I, I can see this happening. And I think if we're going to think about this through the injury lens, the team in the Western conference that is best built at this point, given who we know is going to play at the start of the year, the team that's built best to withstand these injuries is either Memphis or Utah. Like I, I don't have questions about either of those teams' depths, and I think that both of those teams are built to survive an injury for some stretch of the season. And so that's why I'm going to definitely bet on those two teams making the top eight versus some of the other teams that we laid out. Despite all of those other teams, Brett, we're in agreement. They're technically more talented at their highest levels than what memphis is throwing out i'm just i'm i'm betting on the injury bug to to snag somebody i don't know how you feel about all of that considering it was your question jacob uh, oh yeah no sorry hey look man i think that's a very fair argument and i think i said something similar about the eastern conference when we were talking about it yesterday where it's really competitive and you could list off like 11 teams and they all feel worthy of a playoff spot and like that's what it's going to come down to is like the injury bug which teams get bit by injuries and look, man, like if one of those eight teams that I ran off there suffers some injuries, then Memphis probably jumps in. And the likelihood is that some of those teams are going to deal with injuries. And if Memphis doesn't, they do have a great shot to be in that top eight. But I just have a hard time sort of like assuming that these teams are, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, you know, there's going to be injuries, but it's hard. you don't know which teams mm -hmm. it's going to be. So it's so hard to, to think about. But um, that, that's a very fair argument. And if they can stay healthy and some of these other teams do suffer injuries or absences, they've got a great chance. I mean, I, I definitely think they're a playing team um, for sure. So, so we'll, we'll see how it, we'll see what happens there. Um, but uh, I like them. I just, um, I'm just not super high on them. I think they're going to disappoint some people this season. Cause I think people got some really high expectations for this team. And I think the West is still really strong. Now my, my rebuttal, all of this it was is very similar to yours nate that i think i would throw phoenix in there with utah and Memphis as a team that isn't injury proof like but even if they suffer you know devin booker goes down for the season 
just pull like any of those individual star players they have, I think the rest of the team, I think they'd be fine in terms of making the playoffs, being a top eight team in the league. I think like the the big four in Phoenix, you take one of them out, I think the other three can still survive as a very good team. Even you could take two of them out, depending on the two, and they would still survive as a good team that could, you know, be a top eight team in the in the West. My thing with Memphis is that so last year they were sixth in defense. They were 15th in offense. Now, of the players they had last year that played over a thousand minutes, there were 10 of them. The only one they've lost is Jonas Valanciunas. The only one of them was over the age of 27, was Jonas Valanciunas. Like most of that team is 24 or younger. A lot of the core defensive pieces like Xavier Tillman, you know, Brandon Clark, Dylan Brooks, D'Anthony Melton, Desmond Bain, blah, 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 John Morant. These guys are all under 25, or they're turning 25 this year, or they're Kyle Anderson at 27. This is still an exceptionally young team. Jaron Jackson barely played at all last year. And to me, like, the idea of a John Morant improvement, Jaron Jackson coming back healthy, that, to me, that's that supercharges the offense this team, which was already 15th. That's the thing, like, John Rant's already so good that, and Jonas Valanciunas, I think, like, they, they might not make a big jump offensively with the loss of Valanciunas, but overall, I think they can tread water, and I would be shocked if defensively, like, if they're healthy, they're not a top-five defense in the league next year. I honestly believe with the young players they have, there could be a year where they catch lightning in the bottle, and they are just by, by far the best defensive team in the league. If they do that, then they could be, you know, they could really surprise people. To me, they could really surprise people in the next year or two as like a top three, top four seed even in the West. That's how high I am on this team. And like you said, Nate, how how deep this team is in terms of really strong players that they've drafted and they've developed. I really love how they've built this roster. Who do you, who, who doesn't make the playoffs though? And I know like, like, cause we don't know who's going to get hurt. So it's like, but that has to apply to Memphis as well. So it's like, oh. if those eight teams above them, it's like, do you think Portland's not going to make the playoffs do you th- or, or the top eight? I should say the format is obviously different now or like yeah, the Clippers yeah. or like, like, I can't envision any of those teams. I'm not, not- convinced that both of those teams are locks to make the playoffs to, or the top to, eight. Or the top okay. eight. The top okay. eight. Yeah. I okay, think so. Yeah. I think I think w- uh, all the teams we've listed out, Brett, the, the ten that you listed, I uh-huh. think those are without question the ten teams. It's just mm-hmm. the order of where they fall, and yep. it mm-hmm. would not shock me if Portland also had something happen with the injury bug, um, or the Clippers. Like I said, if, if if Paul George goes down for any amount of time, who the hell's going to step up and be the top scorer? Reggie on Jackson, baby. <laughs> no, uh, no, no, you're, you're going right, right. to live and die by Reggie Jackson. No, no, no. I, no, I, no. I think if I had to pick one to who falls out of the eight, the eight that you mentioned, I, I'd probably go in the Clippers. I think the Clippers are going to be like a ninth or tenth seed. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm more down on the Clippers. Um, and and that, that's not to tease one of the questions I may or may not have coming about that division because that is my division. But that that's probably mm-hmm. – it's one of those two, and I'd probably lean Clippers. What, what about you, Jacob? Yeah, I think the Clippers, like you said, like once Paul George goes down, this team is one of the worst teams in the Western Conference. I don't want to say one of the worst teams because I think they would still finish above 
someone like Houston this year without Paul George. But like you say, like if Paul George misses time and Paul George is going to, you know, he doesn't play 48 minutes a game. So there's still like maybe 16 minutes every game where this team has to figure out how to win without Paul George. If they can't do that, there there are going to be a lot of games they're going to give up. And the same with, like you said, Portland, Portland notoriously bad for injuries, for bad luck, and just kind of underwhelming, especially when they have expectations. Like this year, we said on our um, preview with Portland, which hasn't, I think that's the one that hasn't come out yet because we haven't finished it, is that um, this is maybe the best team Portland have had around Dame. It yep. would just it would just be Portland's luck if that team ends up in like the ninth seed after like a really bad year. Like it would just it would like Brett feels knows like, it. He's, feels, he's following uh, it feels like a good segue. I mean we so 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 we we've been talking that actually is a fantastic segue and we will quite literally segue right into to Portland, I guess. But I just want to throw in one more point since we brought up the Clippers. I mean, we talk about what happens to this team if Paul George goes down. If I if I were much more of a seasoned betting man when it comes to making preseason award bets, I would 100% lay some money down on Paul George because I think Paul George will quite literally have to do almost everything for that Clippers team to maintain the status quo of them being like a top four or a top five seed in the Western Conference. Like I think that they will rely on him to have an even better campaign than what he did when he finished third in MVP voting. I do not think that's outside of the realm of possibility. I I don't know what the odds are. I haven't looked at the odds, but if I was looking to throw some money on a dark horse, I don't know how you guys feel about that. Like I I would put I would pick him as like my dark horse candidate for MVP. It's a good one. I've got one that I'm gonna bring up, uh, maybe actually in in the form of a question here in a little bit. But uh, no, I like I like that because if if they are gonna be like a a playoff team, um, you know, and he's healthy all year, then yeah, he's in the conversation because he will have to have been that good uh and we've all seen it he even called it his mvp season even though he finished third so yep um he had an mvp season in okc um, but uh yeah yeah i don't know I, I hear what you're saying though without without him they're they're in big trouble and that would easily open the door for a team like memphis or maybe even new orleans to get into the playoff picture go go, go ahead brett lead it lead us in northwest division we're gonna move on i'm assuming we're, we're gonna start with the portland trailblazers yeah i mean i feel like i have to now there was some, <laughs> some slander out there. but all right i'll preface this um with i think one of the craziest stats in out of all of last season in the nba last season the blazers were second in the nba in offensive rating they were second to last in defensive rating my question is this. Can you imagine a scenario in which they are an above average defense this coming season, top 15 or better? Uh, no. I'm just going to give you the very short answer, no. Um, I, I think that this is the best constructed offensive team around Damian Lillard that I think that they've had when you talk about the fit of Obviously, C.J. McCollum, you you can kind of play whose turn is it between those two. Um, Norman Powell is a really solid offensive option. If Robert Covington can get back to the shooting level that Robert Covington was known for, like towards the end of his Philly tenure, he's the best stretch four I think that they've had. Yusuf Nurkic, we know what he can do offensively. Larry Nance Jr. is a really sneaky candidate to be able to spread the floor 
for this team. Um, and then don't sleep on guys like Tony Snell and Anthony Simons and Nasir Little being able to knock down open jump shots when called upon there to even step in and take a few more shots than you would initially expect. I, I, I'm assuming, Brett, you're, you're, you're going to lean towards that it can happen because of the Larry Nance Jr. Ad, addition. Am I correct about that? I mean, I don't even want to say that it can happen because it does feel unlikely, but I just think if it were to happen, you're going to have a really good team on your hands. I mean, I think Larry Nance Jr. is a fantastic defensive player. I think Robert Covington's a fantastic defensive player. I think Yusuf Nurkic is a pretty good defensive player. Uh, so, I mean, they do have some pieces that that can defend. It's just like, you know, when you've got CJ and Dame in your backcourt, it probably limits your defensive ceiling. But man, like we know they're going to be great offensively. I mean, I, I think we can pencil them in, maybe Sharpie them in, not etch in stone, somewhere in there as like a top five <laughs> offense uh, next season. And, and, and again, if you can get their defense to like middle of the pack, like then you've, you've got a really good team on your hands. So um, obviously they've got a new coach, like the, an article just came out today in the athletic about how Chauncey wants to defend the pick and roll differently uh, instead of the drop coverage that Terry Stotts and the Blazers almost, I won't say like pioneered, but I think like they were sort of on the forefront of that. Like most of the league plays drop now, but like they, their drop with Nurkic was, um, you know, they, they really made it work. Uh, better than almost anybody at that time a few years ago, but now they're you know they they want their bigs to defend at the level of the of the screen uh, on the pick and rolls, and obviously that's easier said than done, and that's why the league plays so much drop now. But that that's going to be interesting. I don't know that L Nurk has like the the lateral mobility to to really do that, but I think if you did go small, maybe even with like a, a Nance at center lineup. I was literally just gonna say you're gonna lead me into that damn question, Brett, that mm -hmm. I would have asked that has a follow up. <laughs> Dude, does Chauncey Billups realize that his best closing lineup is those same four guys, but with Larry yes. Nance at center instead of I hope. I hope as a Blazers fan, I hope, man, I've been, I've been dreaming about it. But uh, is that good enough offensively? I mean, obviously you still have the same four in place, but is that, yeah. It, do we trust Larry Nance's offense to be in that well, closing lineup? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely would. I would say, assuming that they can defend, you know, assuming that they can hold their own defensively, that Larry can guard, that Larry can guard up, you know, they can guard centers. Like, yeah, I don't, the offense, the offense wouldn't worry me at all. I think they'd be phenomenal. Um, I think you could, it would be somewhat akin to the Golden State death lineup, you know, not like at that level, but like that type of lineup. Like I think Larry could be that type of playmaker offensively that Draymond has been for so long for Golden State. The question is like what made Golden State so great is that Draymond could, was versatile enough defensively to switch into guard fives and it's like can larry do that that's a little more of a question mark but i think if he can do that then yeah i mean i think offensively it would be more than enough i think they'd well, be great well well that's what they're thinking that's that's have to be what they were thinking when they went and got larry nance there's no other explanation they did not just go and get larry nance to be this shiny toy they can have on the bench to, to take out and sometimes play with they got yeah. him for a specific purpose like that's the purpose but will it work I don't know the answer of if it's actually going to work. I think it's probably something that they need to experiment with sooner rather than later. I don't know if it's actually going to to work for them to propel them up further than, or a lot further, I should say, than where they were defensively, like when we're talking about where they could stand as far as the rest of the league. What are, what are your thoughts on the the beloved by Brett Portland Trailblazers, Jacob? <laughs> My thought initially when talking about this Nance at five kind of 
small ball lineup is that you're you're not trying to you're almost you're not trying to fix the defensive frailties. You're trying to mitigate the fact that no matter how we kind of arrange this lineup, we're probably going to be pretty bad defensively. So why don't we just play what are probably our five best offensive players? Like out of like guys at different positions that could actually play. Because obviously you're not going to play Anthony Simons at like small forward or something. Of the guys who actually fit positions in the NBA roles, basically, yeah, just play your five best offensive players at the positions. And it's not like like Larry Nance. Obviously, he's probably not going to have the rim protection. Although you know he's not. He's not small, but he's not. He hasn't shown that ability in the past. But he is a big guy. Like for a six-seven forward, he's listed at two hundred forty-five pounds. That's a big, big guy. Yep. Even you know that's 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 you know kind of like how like a smaller version of like what Blake was last year in the playoffs. Like if you can get that kind of play style on defense at the five from Larry Nance, and I think you could, I think you could, you'd be all right. Honestly, like as as all right as you can be, if like Larry Nance is your five, he's he's got a seven one wingspan. And yeah, I'm not worried about the defense. I'm not worried about the defense with him. It's that my question's more offensively when you have him there. But yeah, I'm not worried huh. about the defense. That's interesting. That's right. interesting because as as much as he does have the tools and like he's shown that he's a very good defensive player, like my question would almost be more on the defensive end in a small lineup. Like yeah. I think he's. I think as a playmaker and and he's become a competent three point shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, I I like I'm very comfortable with him offensively. Like I think that's where he presents an advantage. And it would be more defensively where I just haven't seen him, I guess, in that role. But uh I think he can do it. And I, I think we're kind of on the same page where like that at least has the potential to really separate this Blazers team from some of the Blazers teams we've seen in the Terry Stotts era. So he was in he was in the 67th percentile last year as a transition scorer, 62nd percentile as a scorer out of pick and roll sets as the roll man. So those numbers are good are, are very good and good respectively. That's that's good to see. Everywhere else though, he was within the 38th percentile or below or that were in, that would include spot up cuts um, off of putbacks off of offensive rebounds. Now the 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 counter argument to those numbers is well on jump shots overall he was in the 64th percentile, which would show improvement. He hit 37.3% of his jump shots overall, but was only in the 49th percentile off of what was actually registered as a catch-and-shoot shot. So is that is the catch-and-shoot number going to come up and be around that 64th, 65th percentile mark late in these games when he's in these closing lineups and he does end up spreading the floor, not being involved in, in a pick-and-roll set? And Dame Lillard gets him the ball in the corner. Do you trust Larry Nance to knock down those shots in high leverage situations when they have all the shooters covered? I don't know the answer to that question. And we're going to find out the answer to, to that question. I'm assuming, Brett, you just given what you said, you think the answer is yes to that question. You'll have, you, you trust I think him. he's a capable shooter. I just I want to see him in that pick and roll as much as possible. You know what I mean? Like, I just think that that's kind of what I'm looking for. I'd rather have Covington kind of be that guy that's out there uh but yeah I, i'm just you know i'm optimistic this is uh this is one of my favorite squads but i really do think this is and that was going to be i was thinking about that that was my other option for the question like is this the best team damian lillard's ever had because i think that's a fair question uh but it might be a little early to to make that judgment so um well, yeah i my, think they're going to be good though i really do i really think they're going to be good i think they're going to surprise people 
my my question regarding your issues, Nate, with um, Larry Nance's offensive game is like he doesn't have to be this highly explosive, um, you know, incredibly stretchy big man. He just needs to be ultimately better offensively in this roster than Yusuf Nurkic is, which is kind of like when you like frame it like that, you suddenly look at he's a 35% three-point shooter. He shot 36% from the corner for the past three years on like 100 attempts. Like they, these aren't huge numbers, but also like 35% or 36% is pretty good for your five. And then you throw in the fact that like Nurkic is a pretty good passer, but Nancy is also a pretty good passer, like, and a bit more mobile and a better shooter. Like to me, it's not that, oh, Nance is this incredible offensive weapon. It's that he's a better offensive weapon than Yusuf Nurkic. Yeah. And we know that with Nurkic in the lineup, this is still the second, third, whatever it is, best offense in the league. So it's like you're, you're just taking what you're already good at and adding a little bit extra to it to try to push you into being like, you know, a transcendently good championship winning offense. And Nurkic no, I... is really good. Like, that's the thing. Like, Mm-hmm. Nurkic is Nurkic is really good. Like he's like Nance isn't gonna just take like we're kind of talking about a lineup where we're gonna see it, but it's like and I think we want to see a lot of it or at least have them try it. But it's like I mean Nurkic is the guy. Like he's gonna be he's gonna be playing thirty minutes a game, and like I I expect him to have a really nice season. He's one of the main reasons why I'm so optimistic about this team. Uh, just to be clear, I think the Nance at center lineup could be really potent in certain situations, but but overall I think they're gonna be leaning pretty heavily on Nurkic. And I, I, you know, I've said before, I don't think he was at full health last season. I don't think he ever got back to a hundred percent after coming back so quick, you know, to the bubble. Um, I think we're going to see a nice season for him. He's still pretty young. And um, I I think he's going to have an awesome bounce back. So just, just to clarify though, it is actually really interesting when you actually look at the numbers, as far as synergy percentiles are concerned, as well as shooting percentages, Larry Nance was technically a more efficient player than Nurkic, not just on jump shots overall, but even around the basket. Nurkic was 57.1% around the basket last year on non-post-ups. Larry Nance was over 60%. So maybe that is the point, that Larry Nance could be a better option for this team overall. I think that that's essentially where even I was leaning when I said that's an experiment they need to have sooner rather than later. That Man, if, if that if that was really the missing missing ingredient this whole time, Larry Nance Jr. to the Trailblazers <laughs> having more success, that would be that'd be one hell of a story. That'd be yeah. one hell of something to report mm-hmm. on in, in the playoffs. But I, I mean, um, I've always I've said that to everybody since that trade was made. Like all my Blazer fan friends that I've talked to, it's like this was kind of the guy that we've always wanted, like an athletic, two way playmaking power forward. It's like the guy that they've been missing pretty much the entire dame lillard era so like i you know i don't know that he's like a panacea like just I, he might it maybe he doesn't solve everything right away but he is the type of player that the blazers have needed for a very long time all right brett who's next all right sorry we went kind of long on the blazers but i guess that was to be expected no no no. Um, i was expecting the blazers rant i'm yeah. expecting a timberwolves rant i don't know if you want to just go there next but I'm, I'm expecting a minnesota rant oh man yeah they're in this division too uh yeah no we, we'll get there let's go with <laughs> let's go with let's go with denver here um and uh and i guess my question is going to 
involve one of my favorite young players in the league, and that is Michael Porter Jr. This guy had one of the most efficient seasons I can remember in terms of shooting. Uh, he was at about 66% true shooting last season. Uh, he averaged 19 points, seven rebounds. Um, and those shooting numbers break out to uh, 54, 45, 79. So it, can, true can, can I read off the synergy percentages for no, my please. audience? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The prep, them? Please do. Let's 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 hammer out how good of an offensive player Michael Porter Jr. was last year. 93rd percentile spot up scoring, 91st percentile transition scoring, 98th percentile scoring out of pick and roll sets as the ball handler on 40 possessions. He was the ball handler within pick and roll sets. That's pretty awesome. Um 86th percentile scoring off handoffs, 83rd percentile scoring out of isolation sets. Then when you get to how effective he was as a shooter, 96th percentile on jump shots overall, shooting about 46% on those looks, 90th percentile finishing around the basket, 93rd percentile shooting off of catch and shoot looks, 84th percentile all jump shots off the dribble, and then basically 17 feet all the way out. He was in the 94th and 95th percentiles, respectively. Who else has oh. a synergy profile that looks like something like that? Uh, it's it's amazing. Maybe Kevin Durant. <laughs> that, 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 no, that's it's that's absolutely insane. And thank you for for laying out the synergy stats. I have not splurged yet on synergy, but that just reinforces what what I'm trying to say is he just had this an insanely uh, efficient second season for him, really, even though it was his third year after being drafted. My question is this: What kind of jump are we going to see from Michael Porter Jr. this season, and what does that look like? Are we looking at a bona fide? star if not superstar this coming season because based on all that if he makes another leap even half of the leap he made from you know his first season to his second season what are we looking at here like what's his ceiling for this season i guess would be the way to put it 25 9 and 3 and i would say 55 percent from the field 42 43 percent from three I think he's an incredibly efficient three-point shooter, but they'll, those percentages will dial back a few points because of the, the likely volume that he'll add. And then I would hope that he clears the 80% mark um, from the free-throw line for, for the season. Last year during the regular season, he was only at 79.1%. So if I had to guess his stat line, that's what I would say. 25, 9, and 3, um, 55, 42, 80. That's my guess. And that's a that's a fucking good player. That's a really good player. That's like all NBA if the Nuggets. That's are a, that's I mean, a, that's an all yeah. NBA contender forward, and that's I think we're all probably in agreement, unless Jacob has something else to knock down. But I think that's I think I think that's where he's heading. I really do. I mean it it comes down to two things ultimately because I do agree when you laid it out, Nathan. I I had a pod as well at the end of last year where I kind of went through right who are the who do I think the best playmakers, the best scorers are um, coming out of the regular season? I had Michael Porter as the fourth best scorer in the league throughout last year, just because, like you say, his efficiency across the floor is insane. The different skill sets he has as a scorer. like It's it's basically him, Kevin Durant, and like Steph Curry. I think at this point are like probably the only guys... I would think are like the most complete scorers in the league. And I think Michael Porter Jr. could become like 1B to Kevin Durant's 1A as a scorer in the next year or two. He is that talented. Is he a more complete scorer right now than James Harden? 
Yes. Is that I technically would, true? Yeah. I think so. I mean, he shoots 45% from the rim. He shoots 85% of the rim. Yeah, he doesn't get to the like, line though. Doesn't get to the line though. That's the only thing the I think that would maybe maybe make him fall short is like because just in, I would say to consider somebody a complete scorer in today's NBA, like you've got to you got to produce at the line, and that's one thing that does jump out when I look at his numbers is he only took two point two free throw attempts per game last season, which is like I think to get to that twenty five, which I think he can get to, and I probably have him in that range. I think he's going to have to get to like five free throw attempts per game. He's got to get a little bit more aggressive and drawing contact. But like, other than that though, yeah, he's right there. So I, I think he's going to get to the 25 points per game, regardless of whether he takes a significant jump in his free throw attempts per game. I will say this, Brett, you are absolutely correct about the free throw attempts. I've hammered that home on multiple tiers pods that I did when I was going back and look at some of the guys through like a re redrafting reframing type lens. If Michael Porter jr. Takes the same leap, as far as free throw attempts as like guys like Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum have taken, where he's now getting the line like seven, eight times per game, then I'm low on the scoring average. Then we're talking about all of a sudden he's averaging as many points per game as like, yeah, Jason Tatum and Donovan Mitchell. And that's given where he is at in his career right now, how much quicker he's getting to that point than those guys, then total, holy shit. Like where, where, where's the ceiling stop? Where, where yeah, and it's stop? like, you know, it's like, you don't, you look at it just even based on when he was drafted in 2018 and it's quick to get to that point. But then when you consider yep. that he missed his, that he, he missed his first year. And this is really his third season. This he's only it. played 116 games. He's only yep. started 62 games in yep. NBA history. And he just basically got what was essentially a max extension. And we're talking about him as like a 25 point a game guy, like very realistically. I mean, I'm, I'm right there. So, I mean, I, I think I, I think he's in that range for sure. 20, 24, 25, and nine, something like that, especially with the Murray absence. Um, I think he's going to be their leading scorer. I think he's going to average more than Jokic next year. Um, I think he's going to be very much in the all-star conversation, if not the all-NBA conversation. I think if if he puts up those kind of numbers on similar efficiency to last season and the Nuggets are like a top five seed, he could be in the all NBA conversation. And there is a, uh, an incentive in his contract where he makes a significantly uh, more money if he makes all NBA this year. So there will be a little bit of motivation there too. I, I think all indications point to him having another monster year. Like if he, if his true shooting percentage through his first two seasons would rank first all time in the yeah, NBA. It's disgusting. Uh, about yeah, all yeah. those centers, those Deandre Jordan, you know, true shooting monster centers like Michael Porter jr. At, after his first two seasons would be first in NBA history in true shooting percentage. Like he's, he's like few that we've seen before. Virtually nothing yeah. he does other than post-ups. He shoots less than 45% from the field on. That's crazy. absurd. It's, it's absurd. My, my favorite part and part of the thing, why his free throw shooting, it doesn't scare me as much as it would with someone like Donovan Mitchell with someone more like Jason Tatum is that Michael Porter Jr. is almost exclusively a finisher. Like, almost all his three-pointers are catch-and-shoot, or they're, like, assisted. Most of his two-pointers are assisted. He is a pure, pure finisher. He's built around, you know, movement, shooting, cutting, for re cutting getting rebounds, his size. And it's, he's just a very unique player. But he feels like he's the type of player that, Almost with anyone in the league, you could put Michael Porter Jr. next to, and Michael Porter Jr. can just sleepwalk into 20 points next to anyone. 
in the league just because he has this like like I described it with Lonzo, he has like a low viscosity offense. Like he just slips through. No matter what it is, he will just pick up 20 points mm-hmm. over the course of a game highly efficiently while you don't even notice he's there. And then you look up and it's like, oh shit, he's got 27 on the night. Like that's the type of guy Michael Porter Jr. is. And I, I fully believe that because, I mean, before the draft, like a draft that now we look back as like, fuck, that draft was full of monsters like Luca and DeAndre Ayton. And Michael Porter Jr. was seen as maybe the number one prospect for all the injuries. That's So it's not to me totally surprising that this guy comes in gets healthy and oh he's a 25 point per game scorer to me the um the big thing for him is can he improve his playmaking can he improve just just slightly improve his ball handling and playmaking just a little bit so if someone does close out strong to you you can do something like a two dribble pull up but just work on that or like you know it's like something that you can like a couple reads out of like a catch and shoot kind of dribble drive and then his defense, which he has gotten better at, he still needs to get quite a bit better at to become like an average defender for his position, which he kind of needs to be. Well, technically, he was average last year. He was in the 39th percentile total defense. So technically, he was average. Yeah, because but... he's 6'10", 6'11", and he's pretty athletic. Like, I, I mean, I just think it's almost like when we were talking about LaMelo, like where it's like that almost just gives him a floor, just being that big positionally as a small forward, essentially being he's, 10, he, he's become good enough to where if you're only asking him to guard somebody in front of him, as long as they aren't a true center that he, he can excel. It's it's when you get him running off of movement, when you get him involved in different handoff actions, or you have him uh, technically he rated out excellent in terms of defending off of screens. But when you get him involved in like handoff actions, when you're asking him to go up against like a true post up type big, like those are the areas where he still struggles, but I can see him making strides in those areas. And if he does, if he's not like horrendous, like in the 10th or 12th percentiles in those areas, then he could find himself in like the 45th to 50th percentile defensively, which given his offensive value, I mean, shit. If he does that, we're talking about, I don't know, maybe one of the top 15 players in the NBA. Like that, then he really would be like an all NBA guy. Like I I agree with Jacob with, with you that if, he needs to improve on the defensive end, but if he improves in just those areas, it already speaks to significant value. Yeah, then it starts to be like, right, would you rather have like Michael Porter Jr. or like Jalen Brown? Uh, oh, I thought you were going to say Tatum. I'm, I wasn't, <laughs> I'm not I saying I, go, I think I that's crazy. That I just, I'm just not ready for that yet. I'm just not ready for that one yet. But yeah, that's no. he's he could be in that conversation for sure. Yeah, I mean, he could he could easily leapfrog Jalen Brown next year. Just through natural talent. Like Jalen Brown, as good as Jalen Brown is, Michael Porter Jr. was built to be a superstar basketball player. As there are very few people ever who have like the skills and size of Michael Porter Jr. It's like Kevin Durant. It's him and KD. It's him and KD. When you're talking about 6'10 plus that can do what he does, it's him and KD. That's it. You know, that's why he was the projected number one pick. And and it's like, you know, it. It, it, yeah. Again, man, it, it wouldn't be an MPJ segment if I didn't mention the fact that he plays with a drop foot. You can see his brace. He wears it every game. He's been wearing it his entire career. Um, he has a drop foot. He has nerve damage from his back surgery. Uh, he does not. He, that that foot needs a brace to keep it up or it drops. And I think it I would like to think it's getting better. 
Uh, and if it does ever fully heal, we're going to see a version of MPJ that's more similar athletically to what we saw from him in high school. Jacob, you mentioned his high school, what how great he was coming in as a high school prospect. I mean, if you watch the tape on him, like he was dunking from the foul line in games. Like his lateral movement was on a whole nother level than it is right now. He was much more athletic than he is right now. Um, and it, and if, if that ever comes back, coupled with what we've already seen in the NBA, I mean, the sky's the limit, man. So like, we're not even seeing the best version of MPJ right now. I could talk about him for hours. So <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it at that. But uh, I, I do, I love this kid. And I think we're kind of all on the same page that he's probably going to have a, a monster season. Who's next, Brett? Who's up next? Who's up next? Let's go to, um, let's go to the Wolves. Let's do it. Let's just knock them out. We'll knock them out. Uh, can this team make the play in? Can they? Yes, they can. Will they? It's a tough question, Brett. I, uh, so on is paper, it realistic is it realistic to think that they could make the play in? Maybe that's yes, because on on paper, I actually yeah. like this team better than New Orleans. I, I I really do. But the problem is, is that Towns, how how reliable truly is Carl Anthony Towns at this point? And that's I'm not even saying that to like insult him or knock him. Like he's his life has just been a catastrophe for the last two years. I feel so bad for the guy. Yeah. on a daily basis mm-hmm. um d'angelo russell what 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 is d'angelo russell going to be how big of a step forward does anthony edwards take because outside of those three guys i like the depth i really like malik beasley when he's on the floor you brett you and i have man crushes on Jaden mcdaniels that's been documented on multiple <laughs> podcasts nice. uh patrick beverly coming <laughs> off the bench as much as people hate him He's still a really good backup point guard. Jalen Noel, really sneaky good scoring guard to have. Josh Akogi, massively underrated defensive wing. Maybe he doesn't give you much of anything offensively, but defensively, he can guard multiple positions. Jared Vanderbilt, one of the better rebounders for somebody his size in the NBA, really sneaky transition threat. Nas Reed, underrated big man. Like Torian Prince, if trades don't happen, Torian Prince. Leandro Bomaro, if Bomaro comes over and has like a really good season. Like, look at the depth that this team has. Like, they to me they I think they have better depth than New Orleans. They technically have better, more established stars. Like if Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell are healthy and right, I would take that duo over Zion and Brandon Ingram. Just ne- not not in the long term, but next year I would take that duo over those two. So like yeah, Brett, why can't this team be in the plan? It's because I just. I, I just threw the Timberwolves, man. I don't trust them. I'm sorry. I just, I, I don't trust them. That's what it comes down to. It's not, it is not an issue of talent in roster construction because I, I like and or love the pieces they have on the team. No, yeah. Didn't, didn't, I think it was you, Brad, that said when, or is you or Steve, when we, when we did our Western Conference preview and we were, we were quite high on the Timberwolves as well. Like, you know, like, like you just laid out, Nate. And then we were like, yeah, but something always happens with the Timberwolves. Yep. And like two days later, Kirsten Rose's thing came out. <laughs> it was just, it's it. No matter what happens, something happens. Yeah, it was definitely Timberwolves. Steve that that said that because I was I was touting um their front office competency <laughs> and leadership <laughs> yeah. on that podcast, and then like yeah, literally the next day, 
that happens. But <laughs> if, I mean, they're, if they're healthy and right, like how many starting lineups in the Western Conference are better than Russell Beasley, Edwards, McDaniels, and Towns? Like you, honestly, I'm with like, you. Seriously, I think they're outscoring most other starting lineups. I don't think. I think all those games are ending like 140 to 138, though. Like, because yeah, but there there is there is a lot of room room for improvement for Anthony Edwards on the defensive end, and I think Malik Beasley is a little bit of an underrated defender at the guard spot at this point. And then we're all in love with Jay McDaniel's. It's about it's about what do Russell and Towns bring defensively? Can they just can they be better than dog shit defensively? Because most of the time the numbers don't lie the numbers would say a lot of the time they're dog shit defensively can they just be better than that and that's i think really all the work can they just can they be on the court can you rely on them to actually play in the games and can they just be better than dog shit defensively and then i think you have something you really do yeah i mean i, I think we all probably agree that they're a very potent offense and um and it does just come down to them being like not an abysmal defense like that's probably if they could even be like a top 20 defense like they're probably a play-in team yeah and um that's that's a big if but i i don't know about delo um he does have size which I, I feel like sometimes like with point guards like as if you're long like that's almost enough just because like point guard defense just isn't quite as valuable as center defense i think towns also has a lot of room for improvement defensively and like Look, the Patrick Beverly thing might seem like a small deal, but just to have a guy like that in the locker room, Pat Bev, that could really give them a boost defensively and just effort-wise. Like, he's going to hold those guys accountable. Um, Pat Bev's a vet. I would imagine he's the oldest player on the team. Um, and, like, they they probably look up to him in some capacity, and I think his influence is going to be really positive on the, on the defensive end. And I think, you know, we agree. Like, Jaden has the tools to be, like, an all-defensive you know, elite defensive player. It's like, does that happen this year? Maybe not all the way, but we're going to see a lot of that. So like I could see a path for them being, you know, maybe above the bottom third defensively, maybe. Um, and then I think their offense is going to be great. I think they're going to have like a top eight offense, no question next year. So like, I think they can make the play in. I who, think they're right. Who, who has a better defense next year, the Timberwolves or the Pelicans? That's what it's going to come down to. And part of that is availability, first and foremost. And then the other part of it is, is improvement around the margins from some of those guys that I talked about. But who, who has the better defense next year? Because I, I, I actually I can sell myself a lot quicker on Minnesota having the better defense next year than yeah. I can New Orleans. Because when we talked about New Orleans, especially when we're talking about the guard spots, it can be a damn tire fire. But sure, Russell hasn't always been the best defensive guard, but Brett, you made an excellent point about his length. And then I trust the combination of Pat Beverly, Malik Beasley, and Anthony Edwards. And that gives me a lot more confidence than the guard rotation defensively New Orleans is throwing out. Yeah, I almost like Minnesota better defensively if I had to pick. And like, I, I think it's a, a really good question because I think that's, that's the range. Like, I, 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 yep. personally, I think, I, think it's, I think Memphis, New Orleans, Minnesota, like they're almost a tier Maybe you could throw San Antonio in there. I probably not though. But I think those three are kind of like, you know, I'm not playing. I know, I know, <laughs> and you know, but uh, but but I think those kind of those three are sort of in the same tier anyway. So I think it's gonna because that's what it is. It's like it's like those eight teams that maybe are like generally expected to make the playoffs, and then Memphis and New Orleans, and then like it's Minnesota and San Antonio are like the eleven and twelve, and only ten, you know, get to the play in or above. So it's like they're gonna essentially have to beat out either memphis 
or New Orleans or like a Clippers or a team that might have some bad injury luck. So it's it's a pretty daunting task, but like I, I can envision it. I definitely think they're going to exceed expectations. Um, I, I don't see them any lower than 11th in the West. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that with them. Yeah, I, I get what you guys, I get what you're both saying. I agree that they can throw out some really strong, they can throw out some really strong offensive lineups and they can throw out some really strong defensive lineups as well. Like you throw out, yeah, like Patrick Beverly, Anthony Edwards, you know, Josh Okoge, Jaden McDaniels and Nas Reed or Vanderbilt. That's a strong defensive team. And they can throw out very strong offensive teams. My issue is you go down the roster and you think, right, how many players defensive five and their best offensive five? Like, you know, pretty much their entire top 10 guys, their entire core roster, they're one-way players. It's like, you know, Patrick Beverly, yeah, he can exist on offense, but he's fucking, he's pretty bad. Like, he's a really good defensive guard at his best, but he's pretty bad offensively. You know, Anthony Edwards is maybe the only guy that you want to, like, take a jump, or maybe Jaden McDaniels takes a jump offensively. To me, there is... Which he could. He could. I'm not saying these guys can't. And, like, Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels, Kyle Anthony Towns, I love all these guys. But I just... I don't know if I trust them to come higher than 11th. Or maybe maybe tenth, maybe they'll make the play in. But yeah, I just and if if the team wasn't the Timberwolves, I might have more hope for them. But I just you know it's it's the Timberwolves. It comes down to it's as simple as that. It, it that's as scientific as we're gonna get this team. If <laughs> if the Timberwolves turn Malik Beasley, Jaden McDaniels, Torian Prince, here we go. First round picks into Ben Simmons. Then what does that do? I mean, I think that put I think that certainly puts them in the play in. They're a team yeah. like I think maybe you mentioned I don't was it were you talking about Indiana yesterday or whatever, but like we're talking about teams that like Ben Simmons could really benefit. Oh, he could, without a doubt. This is no that this, this is, is a, they're at the top of the list in that in that respect. Like they're yep. they're a prime Ben Simmons destination. And I like I said yesterday, man, like I I actually don't hate D as a fit next to MP. Like I I I think it's one of the more feasible trades for for Ben Simmons, and uh, and obviously gives their defense a huge boost. Like I just, I think. He's oh no, I would, no, no, no! I think D'Lo stays on the Timberwolves regardless. Yeah. I don't think. I don't you, think did that, you say Anthony Edwards? No, I said Malik Beasley, Jaden McDaniels, Torian Prince, and multiple first round picks. I don't think that's enough. I don't think. I don't think that's enough. Uh, I, I don't know. They want to win now, though. I mean, I, I just, I, I love, J- I love Jaden. Like I'd almost see it be more realistic that the Timberwolves keep him and, and move on from D'Lo. But then again, D'Lo and Towns are, are great friends. And, um, exactly. And I, think, exactly. Yeah, I don't think Towns lets the Timberwolves trade D'Angelo Russell. Yeah, you might be I right. Think, I think everything else is on the table except for Anthony Edwards. And that's part of the issue then with the Minnesota culture. If it's like, yeah, we're going to keep this pretty bad kind of start, this like guy who maybe is like nominally valuable through his offense even if his defense isn't great we're gonna keep him and we're not gonna trade him for this like potentially defensive player of the year kind of guard wing forward center everything all at once in ben simmons 
because he's the friend of Carl Anthony Towns. Well, not so not, not, not not to shit on the Minnesota Timberwolves necessarily, but they've kind of proven over the last week and a half they have a little bit of a frat boy culture in there. So they have I proven. Mean, I'm not. I'm not saying, I mean, you're wrong for saying it. I'm saying that that is an indictment on the organization that they're not willing to be like, look, guy, Carl, relax. We know what we're doing. Let us get Ben Simmons. Let's go into the year. He, these friends with Ben Simmons, they like Twitch stream together and stuff. So like, you know, you get a new friend coming over. Yeah, but uh, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I like the Timberwolves as much if they boot out Russell to, to bring in Ben Simmons. Like if it's not the trade that I laid out, I don't know if I like the Timberwolves as much to get into the play. Oh, I, I don't, I, I don't know how much. So, so Ben Simmons has to, be back to the old Ben Simmons in terms of offensive aggressiveness when it comes to scoring the basketball for that to work. Like that has no. that, that has to happen if it's just him, Edwards, and Towns because Edwards is only in his second year. He's going to make improvements. I don't know how big of an improvement he's going to make. And then it's really it, it comes down to Towns and Simmons. And I, I, I don't know if there's enough offense without D'Angelo Russell to, to really get them over the hump? I don't know. I don't have the answer to that question. I don't know if necessarily if they keep Beasley. If you then, you, Ben Simmons is your fourth option offensively and your number one guy defensively. I think that still works. Like to me, you throw out like Beasley, Edwards, Simmons, McDaniels, and Carl Anthony Towns. I like that balance. Yeah, that's, yeah, I do too. I do too. I think that, I think that makes sense. I mean, I'd, I love D'Lo, but uh, I would I would trade him for Simmons just in terms of fit and everything. But uh, who knows? Okay. I think they're definitely one of the most likely destinations though for Simmons. Maybe right behind, you know, Sacramento and maybe, maybe Portland. But it, you know, they're they're up there. I could see it. But well, as they stand, was, you know, borderline playing team maybe. There was that report that I saw out there that was damning that said that the Timberwolves are going to put enough pressure on whoever comes into that front office role to get the trade done for Ben Simmons regardless, even if it means giving up Anthony Edwards. So I don't know. I don't know what happens. They'd be stupid to do it. Yeah. But who knows? I I agree, Brett. I think that the Timberwolves are probably the most likely destination at this point. I think a trade is, it's it's right on the doorstep. Whatever, Whatever gets pushed into the center of the table to actually get it done we don't know what the exact ingredients for the trade will be, but I think if gun to my head, where does Ben Simmons go? I think it is Minnesota, but it's, it's, you know, what's thrown in there. And then what does the team look like once Simmons is actually there? I don't know. But even, even as the roster's constructed right now, I think that they're a competitive team for sure in the Western conference, but um, moving on past Minnesota, which, which of the two teams are we going to Brett? Which one? Let's go to the Utah Jazz. So you're gonna you're gonna save your boy Darius mm-hmm. Baisley for last. All right. <laughs> oh yeah. Did oh, you yeah. know that Donovan Mitchell has the fifth highest career playoff scoring average in NBA history, trailing he's, only Michael Jordan, Allen Iverson, Kevin Durant, and Jerry West? He's fifth. He's a monster. Twenty-eight point nine points a game in the playoffs. I love him. in his career so far. My question is this. Does he? Ha- I asked a similar question about Tatum on the Eastern Conference one. Can he be an MVP candidate this season? Like yes. a legitimate MVP candidate, top five? Is that realistic to you? 
Absolutely. Cause I think it's, I think the jazz are going to be a top two team in the West. I think pretty easily it's going to be between them and the Lakers. I don't know how much the Lakers are going to want to hold down the one seed and how much, how bad they really want it. But Utah could absolutely end up in the number one seed again. And I do think the Western conference finals is going to be jazz Lakers. And I think it's going to be a real damn barn burner as to who actually comes out from that series. Obviously my, my head, wants me to say the Los Angeles Lakers are probably the favorite to come out of that and go to the finals. But my heart kind of says Utah. I, I I don't know, Brett. I got a feeling about this Utah team, man. I didn't have the same feeling about these guys last year. I I, I, I just I got a feeling about this team, man. I just do. Maybe, maybe it's because they drafted my boy Jared Butler. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's just my, my, my incredible love for Jared Butler that I think that he's going to help push them over the top. But I, I like the Rudy Gay edition. I like the Pascal edition. I like that. I let's, for some reason, I like the white side edition. I really don't know why. That could be an absolute dumpster fire waiting to happen at the backup big spot. But I, I just, I like what they have in place. I like some of the additions that they made. And I think that Donovan Mitchell is going to come out and average somewhere between 28, 29 points per game. And the fact that if he can do that, and if he can be as efficient as he's been in the past, or even more so efficient, if he can take, not even major steps defensively, but just a few minor steps forward. And then that team finishes with a similar record than they have been the last few years. Yeah. Yeah. Brad, I think he's going to be a top five MVP candidate for sure. And I think he's going to land on a lot of people's top three ballots. Yeah. I yeah. think it. Yeah. You want to yeah. Go, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's, it's my question. Think, go ahead. <laughs> my bad. I, th- <laughs> I think it's definitely possible because um, I mean, like do well, I mean you you picked up on this Brett I think early last season you said like um Donovan Mitchell's kind of his best comp to what he can grow into is like Damian Lillard as that kind of that is kind of his growth pattern and if you actually like it sounds crazy but then you look and actually at the same age Donovan's achieved a lot more than Dame did through those same ages like Dame was I think showed a lot more as a playmaker through those same ages, but I think Donovan shows a lot more defensively, which he, he probably hasn't lived up to the potential, but still better defensively than Dame. And as a scorer, he's clearly like a better scorer than Dame was at the same age. So yes, Dame has now become like a top five candidate. And I think Donovan can probably get there. I don't know if I think he can get there this coming season, although like you laid out at the start, his playoff scoring is like otherworldly. Just in the last couple playoffs, he's averaged like 34 points a game and he's shooting like nearly 50, 45, 90 from the field on like a, on like, like 25, 26, 27 true shooting attempts every game. It's, it's wild what Donovan Mitchell does in the playoffs. And for me, he is like already, I think he's like one of the 20 best players in the league. I just, I don't know. He shot 43.5% from three-point last year in the playoffs on 11 mm-hmm. and a half attempts that's per game. That's insane. Yeah. For, even for like Steph Curry, that's insane. He is yeah. one of the most effortless shooters of the deep three I have ever seen in my life. And I think he is absolutely right there with Steph Curry and Dane Lillard. And I might say he shoots an even more effortless deep three than those two guys. And I know I'm going against Logo Lillard over there. But like when I watched mm-hmm. Donovan Mitchell last year in the playoffs, like I was like, it literally looks like he's he's putting in no effort 
to launch that ball so high in the damn sky and it just floats down, does, barely even touches the the net, let yeah. alone the rim. It's amazing. Saw, yeah, it's amazing. I saw a video of him recently, just like an off-season workout, I think, where you know that's what came to mind. Is like he kind of shoots it like Dame Lillard, like just that same level level of like effortlessness on those deep threes and. And I mean, that wasn't a strength of his coming in or even as a rookie, he was like a 34% three point shooter as a rookie. And it's just gone. Then it went up to 36.2. Then it went up to 36, six. And then last year it was at 38, six all while the volume is increasing. And it's like, he's at the point now where he might be like 10 attempts a game at 40%. Um, that's obviously taken him to a whole nother level, but yeah, like I, I mean, if he could average 28 plus, which isn't, a big jump considering he was at nope. 26, four last year. And then maybe six assists instead of 5.2 uh, and Utah's a top two or three team in the West. And like, I mean, he kind of has to be in the conversation at that point. Yeah. I mean, he's going into his fifth year. Like he, he's age wise. He's a little older than I think people realize. I mean, he is 25 now, um, but he, you know, he's right in his prime. I think at least certainly in the first half of his prime. And uh it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him at like 28, 29 points a game, six assists, one of the best teams in the league. Um, he's had pretty good durability, at least until that injury last year. And um, his efficiency is good. Like, I, I think it's all there. Like, if I were to pick a dark horse MVP candidate, this is my guy. Um, and I'm not the biggest Jazz fan by any means, but he's just, he's improved so much every year, kind of like in ways we didn't necessarily see coming. And for a guy that, you know, it's, it's one of the craziest things ever is, is that he's only six, one, he's listed at six, one, and then, uh, yeah. he plays like he's six, five, six, six. And, um, he just sort of, he's kind of defied my expectations up until this point. And, uh, and I think he could, he could really have that kind of MVP caliber season next year. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, screw I, it. I'm saying Utah's going to the finals. Screw it. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to drop the mic and make the pick right here. Screw it. Utah's going to the finals. Well, they kind of need to. They're kind of, this is like the next couple of years is the peak of this team. Because we think of Donovan Mitchell as, yeah, he's like 25. He's the baby out of the, like the top seven, eight guys on this roster. Donovan Mitchell is the kid. Most of these guys are like 30. Going into their mid thirties, in some cases, like Joe Ingles and Mike Conley, this team's like window of contention is like this year, next year, and also last year when they, you know, completely shit the bed in the conference semifinals. It, this team kind of this is it for them, and I I really like this team. Like this team goes like seven, eight players deep in quality NBA players. I don't know if I would pick them honestly to make the finals. I no, I don't think I can. Again, I think they would get beaten by Phoenix. I think they would get beaten by a healthy LeBron and AD in the playoffs. But I do think the Utah Jazz could make some noise again. And I do think I I think yeah, you lay out that Donovan Mitchell takes a very small statistical increase the Utah Jazz stay in that like top two, top three seeds in the West. And he's an automatic candidate. And he's an exciting player. And I pegged him, like I said, like, uh, maybe he'll be an all NBA player at his best. He's just blown through that already by being like, oh, I'm going to become a 39% three-point shooter the next year. Oh, I'm going to, you know, double my like pick and roll play making the next year. Like there's, there's so much that he seems to be improving on 
every single year showing tangible improvement. I don't know if I want to bet against Donovan Mitchell becoming like a clear top 15 player, like knocking on the door of being a top 10 player in the league next year. And if he does do that, then yeah, he has to be in the discussion ultimately. Yeah. I mean, it's, it sounds almost crazy to say like, well, Donovan Mitchell, MVP candidate, top 10 player, but it's like, there's a pretty easy path for him to get there considering that yeah. Utah was arguably the best regular season team in the league last year. If they can be in the top two or three again, and he takes mm-hmm. even a slight jump, then it's like it, it'd hard, be hard to imagine him not being in there as crazy yeah. as it sounds to say. So like, yeah, I mean, they're, they're a fun team. They shoot the ball really well. I think they were the the number one team in three point attempts and, and top five in percentage last year or something like that. They've got, you know, at least five or six guys that shoot it at like 38 plus on, on pretty good volume. Um, that's their identity, obviously, in the playoffs. Like, they run into some issues with Gobert, but that just depends on matchups. Like, that that Kawhi – I almost wonder, like, if Kawhi had not been hurt and the Clippers had sort of kept their original identity, I wonder if they might not have beaten the Clippers. But, like, the way the Clippers went when just this five-out small ball without Kawhi, um, that gave Utah a lot of problems, obviously, with Gobert. So I think with him it comes down to matchups, and, and maybe they've learned their lesson where, like, okay, we need to take this guy off the floor at times, but – um, they're a dangerous team, but I definitely think they'll be up there in the regular season. No question. So last but not least, <laughs> the Oklahoma City Thunder. Brett, I can only imagine what kind of question you could have. I can only imagine. <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll, well, I'm sure we'll get through this one pretty quick because it's like they're, they're going to suck. So it's like, how much can we really talk <laughs> about them? My, my question is this, though. Could we see a scenario in which they make a big trade during the season, like say at the trade deadline. Cause we all know they've got all these chips to cash in. When we look at future draft picks, young players, just all these assets, um, they're going to cash them in at some point, but could we see that happen sooner than later? The expectation seems to be that this whole season is just a total tank, total loss, um maybe next off season maybe next trade deadline they they start to cash in some of those chips but like i, I guess the my i'll just say like the i could see if if sga takes another leap and establishes himself as like a top 20 nba player do they feel a little more rushed to put a more competitive team around him and it's like they're not going to make the playoffs this season no matter who they trade for okay um but like just to sort of put things in place going forward and to show him and to show their fans that they're committed could you see them making a big significant trade during the season i i do wonder about that um i think they'd be silly not to consider it ultimately cuz they like you say they do have so much like if they get like say even a whiff that a player like Brandon Ingram or Zion is unhappy, you just call up New Orleans and say, look, what do you want for these guys? Like, cause like you say, like if SGA can take another jump, like the only guys in this roster who are absolutely, I think guaranteed to be on it next year, no matter what are SGA and Lou Dort. But then apart from that, they have, Aisley, they have Poku, they have Maladon, they have Josh Kiddy, they have all these guys that look, you know, they're going to give them as much room as they need to expand their roles this year and play better, hopefully play better. And then, you know, we'll see if you can actually become something in this league. If someone, if one of those guys does that, like if Baisley takes the jump 
and like now he's he's written in pen, he's written in Sharpie for next year for this team. Like you are our number two next to SGA. Then I could maybe see something a bit more realistic. But the problem is on the timeline they're gonna want, they're gonna want a young player like a Brandon Ingram, like a you know, Jalen Brown, someone kind of like that. I don't know if there's anyone in that kind of age range who's really like even hypothetically available for the Thunder to get right now, even though the Thunder could probably trade with their assets for anyone in the league. If they really wanted to, they probably could. Like, are LA really going to turn down like 20 first round picks for LeBron? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that one ring potentially is more valuable than 20 first round. I don't know. But like, OKC are the only team that could possibly do that. I think they would be silly not to consider it. I don't think anyone's going to be available for them, though. I I agree with Jacob 100%. Brett, it's not that they don't have the assets to do something big. I just I don't know who's going to be available. And then even if you look at some of the guys who could be available, does Oklahoma City want to essentially start pulling off trades for guys that they know are likely not going to want to be there long term and it's honestly the 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 only situation i i hate that i have to keep talking about this man but the only situation i can see is if they actually throw their hats into the ben simmons race and philly would be willing to accept the package back whatever that package would look like because ben simmons is on a four-year contract and and i understand that he's getting out of philly and forcing his way out of there now but He'd be on a four-year contract. Oklahoma City can talk themselves into, well, we at least have this guy for long-term. And by the way, I guess Ben Simmons technically fits the bill of every player they've been drafting over the last two years. They've kind of been drafting players similar to him. So, like, I I don't see them pulling off a trade for, like, a Beal or a Dame or somebody like that. I think Ben, ironically, Ben would probably be the name, and I don't know how realistic that is for, for, for both sides. So it's not that... They don't have the stuff to go out and make a big trade. It's, uh, yeah, I just I don't know who the name is. That would that that would that would be my my response to to that. Um, and and I'm gonna try I'm gonna try to keep this podcast moving a little bit. So we got my division. Last but not least, some spicy names in the Pacific Division, starting with the Los Angeles Lakers and Mr. LeBron James. I have a pretty simple question, but it could be a little complex in terms of how it's answered. What will the best closing lineup be for the Lakers come playoff time? Who are the five most reliable guys to have on the court together who actually mesh the best? So they have Westbrook, Wayne Ellington, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard, Carmelo Anthony, Trevor Ariza, Kent Bazemore, Kendrick Nunn, Malik Monk, THT, and DeAndre Jordan. So, Brett, Closing lineup for the Los Angeles Lakers. They have a ton of bodies, but what would actually what would your closing lineup be? How would you fit the puzzle pieces together? Tough man. I mean, I think Westbrook. Ha- I mean, I I can't leave him out of this. As much as I don't know that he's a perfect fit, I think in an, in an AD at center lineup, I think Westbrook's okay. So I'm gonna go AD at the five, LeBron at the four. Taylor Horton Tucker at the three, Malik Monk at the two, Westbrook at the one. 
because my thing, like I, I would like a little more shooting out there. And this is the problem you run into when you have LeBron and Westbrook. Now LeBron shot it pretty well last season from three. Um, I still don't, I don't know. I just don't believe in LeBron as a above average shooter, but uh, Westbrook obviously is a non-shooter. Um, Taylor Horton Tucker has not been a very good three-point shooter. I think he's going to improve, but like, what does that mean? Maybe like he's 33% now, but I just think between like, I'm tempted. I was tempted to, to put Mello in that lineup just because of his, his ability to shoot the ball. But I think he gives up too much defensively where, um, yeah, I'm going to go AD LeBron, Taylor Horton, uh, Malik Monk and Westbrook is going to be my, my closing lineup for that team right there. I like Monk. I, I think Monk is, I think Monk needs to be a part of it. That's for sure. So no Carmelo Anthony. I was tempted to put him oh. in, man. That's, that's my guy. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> what about you, Jacob? I think there's a couple ways thing. I mean, obviously yeah, it depends on AD at the four, AD at the five. I'm going to guess their playoff closing lineup is AD at the five against the elite teams because we did see when in their run in the bubble when it got real crunch time against the best teams Dwight Howard had to be taken out as valuable as he was in certain matchups I'm gonna go AD at the five LeBron at the four now I don't know now it gets tough now it's I'll go Trevor Ariza at a three I don't know if he's still got it in him or do I go THT at the three? I don't. I'm probably gonna go. Actually, I'm gonna go for similar to Brown. I'm gonna go THT at the three. I'm gonna go Malik Monk at the two, and I am gonna go Rondo at the one. I'm leaving. I'm gonna leave. Russell Westbrook on the bench. I'm gonna leave Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, and Dwight Howard. Three Hall of Famers. are gonna be riding the pine during crunch time for my LA Lakers team. Uh, so and I feel, I feel good about it. Honestly, I feel, I feel confident. We're going to have three different closing lineups. That's incredible. Uh, I'm, I'm cause I'm, I'm going AD LeBron, Carmelo, Wayne Ellington, Russell Westbrook. That's the lineup I'm going with. Carmelo. You're going to, you're going Carmelo. Carmelo. I don't, I don't see how he's not in the closing lineup. How is LeBron going to let his boy ride the pine? Because he's fucking shit. <laughs> no, I'll say I'll say this to the well. First of all, I think Melo's shooting is going to be very yep. valuable for this team. Yes, it least, is. He shot forty-one percent on threes last year. That's a In career big best. Games. He's, yep. he's a money shooter. Yes, and he hits big shots as well. Uh, obviously, the defensive mobility uh, defending some of the forwards in the NBA today leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, and then as far as Jacob, as far as your lineup, like I think there is a fair argument to be had between who is the better playoff closing point guard between Rondo and Westbrook. Like if you're just talking playoffs, maybe Rondo has an argument, but I just, I cannot envision a scenario like Westbrook. He's just too high profile. He's got too much clout. Um, he's, I think he's going to be in there, but I, I think there is an argument for Rondo. Like if we're just looking this on, you know, looking at this like on paper, like if there's no other factors involved in a vacuum, maybe he's a better playoff player. Like at least he was, he was pretty damn good for them during their title run. We can all agree on that. But uh, so we, so we all agree on AD and AD, LeBron. AD LeBron and then it literally yeah. just splits off from there. But you, you guys agree on THT. And Monk, I yeah. disagree on THT. 
and Monk. I think THT is going to make a, a jump. I, I, I can't see a world in which Russ and, and Carmelo are not in that closing lineup. I can't see it. I'm sorry. Uh, unless Carmelo really is like one of the worst players they have on that team next year. I can't. That's the only way I can see that him not being in the lineup. And they just made the big splash trade for Russ. I cannot see them sitting the, the greatest competitor that we have arguably in the sport on, on the bench in closing line. I can't see it. I can't I see it. I can't see them keeping him, honestly. And on the, like, Carmelo, I told Carmelo, at least he is, he's turned himself into, a, like, a 40% three-point shooter. So at least he has value out there. You know, you can stick him in the corner. Like you say, like, at the end of a shot clock, you can give it to Carmelo, and he will get up as good a shot as he can. Russell Westbrook, like, in the playoffs in the last few years, Russell Westbrook has been higher. Like since like since his MVP, you look at his playoff performance numbers. They are just like he's he's only been above forty percent from the field once since twenty seventeen. In twenty seventeen, he was below that, but still like he's just his numbers are so so bad. As much as he stuffs the stat sheet, he's so inefficient. The Lakers knew this when they played the Houston Rockets with Russell Westbrook they treated him like a center and it was like well documented at the time like yeah the lakers started just like give russell westbrook 10 feet of space and he's not in the paint like that was they knew that they know this like i don't see i think the trade is one of desperation i don't see russ as a top 50 player even in today's league I don't see him as a third option. I think he's going to be quite bad as a third option. I don't think he has any of the skills required to play off them in, in for the most part. Like I am so down on this move and I, I do not see him in that closing lineup at all. I wouldn't even see him as like the sixth man in that closing lineup. That would be like Trevor Ariza for me. So, so Jacob's just going to grab torches and, and pitchforks in the postseason for, for, for Russ, against the Los Angeles. Rosen, and yeah. Fair uh, enough. Those, uh, yeah, I'm I'm down. I'm out on all these non-shooting, athletic, non-defending guards. I'm out. Spoken like a true analytics guy. Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> the Los Angeles Clippers. I think we've I've technically answered this question, but you two should absolutely give some input on it. Are the Clippers a top six seed in the West without Kawhi Leonard? My answer is no. I, I've laid it out that I think if there is a team to drop out of the top eight that the average NBA fan would project that they would be the team to do so because of what we talked about earlier with Paul George. But I don't know, maybe in sitting here thinking about this a little bit, maybe you guys feel differently. I don't know, Brett, what, what do you think? Are, are they a top six seed? if Kawhi Leonard doesn't play again for, for the Clippers this year? I don't think they are. I think they're like 7-8 uh, without Kawhi because it's just like Utah, Phoenix, Portland, L.A., Golden State, and then either Dallas or Denver, and that's six. So I, I just I don't see them being better than those teams. Like Even if Paul George has a great season, I think they're going to be a competitive team. Um, I think they'll almost certainly be in the top eight, assuming he stays healthy, but I do not see top six. I'm maybe, maybe more um, positive on the Clippers. 
I would probably like I haven't gone through and actually ranked my Western Conference. I would if the Clippers came sixth, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Them just because with with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, there's a lot of overlap in skills. And I went through this for our pod. I went through like all their plus minus stuff with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Obviously, that's the best pairing. And Kawhi Leonard by himself is still a great pairing. It's still just great. Without Paul George on the floor, the Clippers are still great. But with Paul George on the floor and Kawhi off the floor, the Clippers are still like a 55-win team. When they're both off the floor, they're like they were like a 35-win team last year, like a 33-win team. So if this team ended up with 48 wins, I would not be shocked at all. Assuming Paul George is healthy, I wouldn't be shocked at all. If they got 50 wins, I wouldn't be too surprised honestly, with this team, because I I think either Paul George or Kawhi, you could take one of them out in the regular season. This team wouldn't get like, they wouldn't lose 10 wins. They wouldn't maybe wouldn't even lose like eight wins in the regular season. Now you get to the playoffs, them going out in the first round when they could be challenging for the title with both of them. But for me, I, I'm not shocked. If they make the sixth seed, not surprised at all, honestly. I wouldn't be shocked either. I think this all comes down to the health of, for, in my opinion, it comes down to the health of Paul George. Does Paul George play somewhere between 72 and 82 games? Is he there for the majority of the season? And what does this team do without? Do they just completely flail without him if he misses some time or he has to take some rest? But yeah, how high, how much can he really carry that team? And that to me is all about health, et cetera. So that he he's going to be the guy that can keep them in that top six range but yeah if, if anything if, if anything happens to him i do think the team's gonna flail without him and it could be like i said earlier maybe they drop out of the top eight altogether and they're stuck fighting for one of those playing seats but a team that we are probably very confident in will not be in that position to drop out of the top six brett just said it himself the phoenix suns are the suns capable of repeating as Western Conference champions, or was last year's run one of coincidence, not of legitimate worthiness? Jacob, I'll start with you, my friend. I think it was legitimate worthiness, honestly. This team, I even I went back because I did a I did a pod about kind of historic championship plus minus data, what these teams look like compared to champions of the past. And my actual my exact words for the Phoenix Suns was how I went into this exercise thinking, ah, oh, they they're a bit of a, you know, a bit of a weak team among these actual like championship contenders. You know, I don't know about CP3 at this age, how well he can do against like elite defenses in the playoffs. I think that was borne out. Honestly, I think CP3 kind of struggled a bit against the the best teams. The Suns are just so talented at the top. That became very apparent. Like the amount of switchability they have between their top four guys. And all it really came down to for me was will these young guys perform in the playoffs like they do in the regular season? We know the answer to that now. So to me, this Suns team is absolutely legit. They're my pick to be the number one seed in the Western Conference this year. I think what they did last year is not only is it replicable, I think they can be better than they were because as good as they were, you know, they weren't like a juggernaut that came out of the conference like 
Milwaukee or a Brooklyn maybe will predict this year. But to me, I think they might just be the best team in the West again this year. I think they might be. So they have the majority of the same team coming back. And we know how much I love the Phoenix Suns last year. I, I waxed poetically about them pretty much the entire year last year. They were my favorite team to watch. Now you bring in, they, they added Landry Shamit, And then a sneaky addition, Mr. JaVale McGee finds himself on the Phoenix Suns. And everyone might just scoff and say, oh, JaVale McGee, what's he going to do? He does give them a backup big man that they did not have last year especially when Dario Saric went down. So I think that's actually a sneaky big addition for the Phoenix Suns, to be perfectly honest. And I already thought they were a very complete team last year, one of the most complete teams in the entire NBA, before they even went on their, their magical run to the finals. And now I think even more so, they added another top-shelf shooter when he's right, and they added a, a, a better backup big man to be able to go to if Dario Saric isn't well, then, then Frank Kaminsky. I would absolutely play JaVale McGee over Frank Kaminsky. Brett, what do you think about the Suns? No love for Frank the Tank? Um, no, man, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, I, I, lo- I actually loved the, the McGee acquisition for them. I actually thought last season he was going to be more impactful for the Denver Nuggets than he was. But I think in Phoenix, he fills a bigger need, especially considering the Saric injury i mean sarge he tore his acl like he's he's out for at least most of the season um and that was one thing that did sort of come up in the playoffs like yeah they just needed a just another big body like i think i brought out the name like like damian jones a couple times uh or is it damian james i always get those guys mixed up but the dude the warriors drafted like because they had him for a minute at the end of the regular season i'm like man if they had just held on to that guy like that's all they need is a body and javelle mcgee is more than just a body like he's a, he's a very nice player with obvious uh championship experience uh that who does provide a nice a vertical threat for them and that obviously fits in with what cp3 does so well so i think when you take Aiton off the court and put in mcgee there's a lot more continuity than there would be um without a guy like that coming off the bench so yeah as like an under the radar acquisition uh that that's really nice and I, I i certainly think they're at least as good as they were last season especially when you consider you know the age of their core and just how much those guys are going to naturally improve like there's devin booker's going to be better deandre ayton's going to be better perhaps much better mikhail bridges is going to be better cam johnson is going to be better and as far as cp3 like yeah, he's he's old. He's like my age. Um, but uh, you know, based on based on what he did last season, though, it's like all the, I don't see any of that falling off. Like that all feels replicable, even with him being another year older. Um, so yeah, I think that I, I don't think there was anything fluky about what they did. I think they were arguably, just like Utah, arguably the best regular season team in the league last year. And obviously, we know what they did in the playoffs being even a little bit shorthanded at times without Chris Paul at times and without Sharich. Um, I, I, one thing I'll say about the Suns is I think Aiton's going to have a, a monster season. Um, his offensive numbers were down a little bit last season than they, you know, from the year before, but I, I expect him to get back up to that, like 18, 20 points a game range. I expect him to start shooting the ball a little bit more from outside. I think he's got a little more to his game than he's shown, at least as a shooter. Uh, he, he's a good shooter and, and he didn't, he didn't do a lot of that last season. You don't want the guy taking five, three pointers a game or anything like that. But I think he does have a little bit of, um, a little bit of stretchiness that we might see. So 
Yeah, I'm, I'm very optimistic on them. I will be surprised. I will be shocked if they're not a top four team in the West. Um, I just think they've got so much continuity from last season. There's a lot to love. Um, they're going to be really good. And, and I think they're as primed uh, to make the finals from the West as, as just about anybody. Uh, you know, I think there's, you know, like the Lakers absolute ceiling. Sure. But I think the Suns have less question marks because we've already seen what they can do. They're solid. Don't, don't let my irrational, my newfound irrational love for the Utah Jazz fool you. I still love this Phoenix Suns team and I'm still going to watch a ton of them. And I'm still going to, I'm still going to hope that Chris Paul can, can win a championship because it's the same thing as I said last year. He just deserves one at this point for everything he's done within the game, everything he's done for the game, being one of the game's best ambassadors over the last decade, Chris Paul is awesome. And I want him to get a title, but another team in the West who wants to be back in title contention I don't know if they actually will be the Golden State Warriors. My question about the Warriors is James Wiseman, the starting center for the Warriors by this year's end. And how many minutes do the young studs end up playing overall? So Wiseman's competition at the center spot would be who I would expect to start the year at center, Kavon Looney. And then you technically are going up against Draymond Green as well, because we know that Draymond Green will see plenty of time at small ball center. I think that James Wiseman will end up being the starting center for them, at least by like the midway point in the season. That doesn't mean I'm expecting James Wiseman to be considerably better than he was last year. It's a process. I think next year, is when we could see a bigger jump take place from James Wiseman. But I think, at least by the midpoint, the Warriors will see him as a better starting option than at least the, than Kevon Looney, for example, because I don't think they're going to start Draymond at center. That's always been something that they go to within games to make adjustments. Um, Jacob, what, what, what do you think? Who, who will be the starting center for, for that team by year's end before we get to the other two interesting young guys? Um, that's really tough. That is really tough because, yeah, like Wiseman, like in theory, Wiseman, if he takes a jump up, just his his frame, his potential physical traits, like, you know, I know people have like questioned like his hands, like his awareness. If he can take a jump, then he is very clearly a better player than Kavon Looney. Like he just he is naturally so much more talented than him that it's not fair to even really compare them if he takes but will he take that jump i don't i don't know i know warriors fans are quite confident in that um i don't know if i am i don't know if he really has that feel to be like it to play in this system i think it might have been a misfire from the warriors i mean i can see it like i can totally see it because he is super talented i just don't know if like you know, he actually beats out Kavon Looney for the system Golden State wants to run. Or even like someone like Bielisa. Like, do they eventually say, like, you mm. know what, he's gonna be our starting center in lineups, and then you know, we're gonna shift between like him, Draymond, Looney, Wiseman, you know, as we go through, but that for the spacing for the offense, like he's gonna start at the five slot. I don't know. Uh I don't I would be shocked honestly if Wiseman Wiseman took the starting job. Yeah, it would surprise me actually. Yeah, it would. I think 
I think by the by the end of the season, probably by the midpoint of the season, probably by whenever he's fully healthy, I do think James James Wiseman will be their starting center. I just think he's a better fit, and I I think I think Looney kind of sucks. Like I don't. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like I don't. I've watched that's so that much. that's the thing though, Brett. It's like the question yeah. really is: Can James Wiseman just be better than Kavon? Looney? Yeah, that's which, the question. Yeah, pretty that's pretty easy to do like I, I just i don't really <laughs> see the appeal of kevon looney i never have i just always feel like he's kind of been like this default guy like that's just there and like yeah he's solid i guess he plays okay like on ball defense in the post like he's a smart player whatever he's a veteran i'm sure he's a great guy but like i don't think i i don't think he's a very good player um <laughs> overall and I, I so i don't think it, I, I think wiseman a healthy wiseman as much as i'm not the biggest wiseman guy i think he's already um probably better than than looney uh even if the numbers don't always bear it out in terms of like his his impact on the court but you know again he's going to be another another year older um they've brought in a new big man coach that's been working with him uh you know and i think they have they have to believe in him. They took him second overall. I mean, they drafted him over LaMelo Ball. Like, they, they've got a lot invested in him, and I think they need to, to show some commitment uh, to their fans and just, like, and, and I just think the type of player that he is is going to provide some value for them as a guy that can just finish above the rim and, and theoretically protect the rim on the other end. Um, so, yeah, to answer your question, I think he will be their starting center at some point this season. Uh, I, I'm glad you brought up Bielitsa, Jacob. That's something that I've thought about a lot is like, I definitely think he's going to get some minutes at center. Um, you know, I, maybe even, maybe even like in a closing lineup, maybe he and Draymond could play together. Uh, he's got the height. He can shoot the ball. I, he's an underrated player. I definitely, he's one of the reasons why I'm pretty optimistic about this Warriors team, just as a guy that's not really, nobody's really even talking about him, but if you look back a couple of years, you know, he, he's a really nice player that can really shoot the ball at 6'10". So I think he's going to see some minutes at the center, but probably never in a starting role, maybe not in a closing role, but just somewhere in between. But if we're talking about a starter, um, I, I, Wiseman would be my pick as soon as he's physically ready to do that. I, I definitely think he's better than Looney. And then, Brett, really the second part of the question is – for you because you are the biggest Jordan Poole fan that I know. I'm probably the second biggest fan, but I probably don't even come close in comparison to how much that you have talked up this man, Jordan Poole. Tell me why Jordan Poole will be so amazing that Jonathan Kuminga and Moses Moody have no chance to sniff the rotation. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding, Brett. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, <laughs> just, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, Brett. But I know, I know that you're a big fan of Jordan Poole, but in all honesty, the, the man who's leaving the door open for one of those two or maybe even both of them to get solid cracks at the rotation is Andrew freaking Wiggins because Andrew freaking Wiggins isn't vaccinated. And I can promise you, Andrew Wiggins is not an equivalent to Kyrie Irving. The Warriors will trade Andrew Wiggins. They will find a way to move him if he does not get vaccinated before the season starts. So, um Brett, I know that's that's a wrinkle in there, but like, how do you feel about the two young guys? How do you feel about the wrinkle and the situation for those two young guys overall? And Jordan yeah. Poole, you can talk about Jordan Poole. Well, you know how I feel about Jordan. Poole. <laughs> uh, I think I think I think he's gonna. I just I think he's gonna have an awesome season. I think he's an awesome player. I think he's a super hard worker. I think he's extremely talented. He can handle the ball. He can play make. He can obviously shoot the rock. 
Um, I couldn't, I'm, I'm super high on him. You know, I think he's going to be their starting two guard to open the year. I would not be surprised if he finished the year as their second leading scorer. I think he's going to be in the most improved player conversation. And I think this time next year, we're going to be talking about him as one of the league's brightest uh, future stars anyway. But to sort of address the second part of your question about Moody and Kuminga playing, I, I don't know about Moody. Okay. Just based on the makeup of their roster and just where he's at, I, I, He'll get minutes. He'll get some garbage time minutes for sure. I know that they value him a lot. It's important to get him reps. I like him a lot. He, If I had done a big board, he would have been well within my top probably eight this past season. I mean, I've, I'm very high on him. I just love that type of player. Um, but Kuminga's the guy that I think could actually really crack the rotation and, and get some minutes. Uh, Steve Kerr, I just saw came out today and just said he envisions him as a four, uh, you know, certainly right away and probably in the long term. And, and I could see that. I think in some way he's going to provide some value for them. I just, I don't think they're deep enough up front to keep Kuminga off the floor. As raw as he may be, just with his athleticism, his talent, and the things that he does do well already, I think he's going to get some minutes. Not big minutes, but like, you know, maybe like 12, 15 minutes a game, something like that. I think he's going to have a bigger impact than people are are expecting, where it's been kind of like he's not going to play at all or he's gonna be in the g league or um he's gonna have a lot of like dnp cds like i think he's gonna get some minutes maybe not right away but i think by the end of the year he's gonna work his way into the rotation so the one thing i will say you you mentioned jonathan kaminga bread it's really interesting there there is technically a universe that exists in which jonathan kaminga is a better option at the four than all of Andre Iguodala, Otto Porter Jr., and Juan Toscano Anderson. Maybe maybe not more valuable than Bielitsa because Bielitsa, although he's not a defensive ace, his shooting, he just fits so much better with some of those other guards than Kuminga on the face. But out of all those other guys, there, there, I can see a world in which he might be the next option after Bielitsa. I think he plays more than Iguodala. I'll bet you by the end of the season, he averages more minutes per game in the regular season than Andre Iguodala. I'll say that. Yeah, I wouldn't bet against that either, honestly. I think, yeah, I think Kaminga's just through sheer, like, force of talent. Kaminga is going to get quite a lot of time on the floor in this in this team. Because like you say, like, like this team is, it's deep in a kind of weird way. It's got quite a few guys around like the two position, like you know, Wiggins, Moody, Clay, Avery Bradley, Jordan Poole, and it's got quite a lot of guys around like four five in Wiseman, Kavon, Draymond, Bielitsa, whatever. In that kind of three four slot outside of Draymond and Otto Porter, it's basically, yeah, Kuminga needs to battle with Iggy with Juan Toscano-Anderson, who I actually think will get more time this year. I think he's proven to be a really solid rotation piece for them. So, uh, yeah, I, I would not be shocked if Kuminga forces his way. If he, it's very clear, yeah, he's got a lot more than Iguodala does in the tank right now. And if he's better than Otto Porter, that would not shock me. But at the same time, it wouldn't shock me for Moses Moody either. Like, it wouldn't shock me if Moody ends up as, like, maybe not their starting three, but if, like, Wiggins this all completely blows up in the Warriors' face. I would not be shocked if, like, at the end of the season, Moses Moody was the starting three on the Golden State Warriors. That Honestly, that would probably be 
my pick out of all these young guys who's going to be the star at the end of the year. I think Jordan Poole is the obvious option, but just because of Clay. But of the three, like rookies, guys, like rookie and James Wiseman, I'm going Moses Moody as my pick. And last, but certainly not least, well, maybe, maybe, maybe same as yesterday. Maybe they are least. They're close. Nobody ever wants to talk about the Sacramento Kings. My, I, I didn't have any special questions about necessarily the players specifically on the team, but are the Kings the team that makes the big splash for Ben Simmons? Are they just so desperate at this point, even more desperate than the Timberwolves, to be back in some sort of spotlight that they just say, F it, what, what do you want, Philly? What type of package do you want? We're not going to give you all three of the young guards. We're not probably even going to give you two of the young guards, but we'll give you one of Fox or Halliburton. We'll throw Buddy Heald in there. We'll make the, make the money work, etc. We'll throw in the draft picks. Like, do the Kings get desperate enough to be the team to really throw Philly for a loop and be like, all right, I guess this is how we're going to do the trade. Brett, what do you think? I would have them as my most likely destination for Simmons. I think if I had to pick one, just because they do have, I think, some pieces that could appeal to Philly and some pieces that are a little bit redundant, obviously, with all their guards. But I just have such a hard time picturing them giving up either Halliburton or Fox. Um, if I were them, I would trade Fox for Simmons. I think Simmons, I'd rather have Simmons than Fox if I'm the Sacramento Kings. That's all there is to it, um, considering that you already have Halliburton and, and Davion Mitchell. But the trade that... I, I just I I think I brought this up in our Facebook group, but like I like Harrison Barnes as like a centerpiece of a trade for Simmons. Maybe that seems low and maybe it will be depending on what other offers come in. But I think Harrison Barnes would be great on Philly. Um, obviously, you'd have to throw in a little bit more. Like if I were the Kings, like my dream package going out would be like Harrison Barnes, Marvin Bagley and like a couple of picks. I would Benson. throw up in my mouth, Brett. If I was offered that, I would. Throw it's just up in not. My mouth. It's I'm not sorry. even close, is it? So, but, 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 but then again, but doesn't Halliburton? Or you gotta Fox... give. You gotta give me one of those guards. You have to give me one of the guards. Well, I'd do Fox, but that's just me. I think I, maybe so Sacramento. You, so you, you, you would do the Fox Simmons one for one swap, and then whatever as, other draft assets. As close as close to the as close to a one for one swap as I could, if I were the Kings, and I had to give up one of my guards, just because like. I mean, Davion Mitchell's a rookie. Like, he doesn't have the money. He's not proven. He's not really going to be a factor. I don't. I don't think in that deal, unless he was like a throw-in with a maybe. Like, if you were giving them a, a Barnes, like they maybe you throw in a, uh, Mitchell. But uh, so 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 Halliburton Barnes and a small contract to make the money work for Simmons would be too much for you. For me, for me. Maybe not for the Kings. Like I, I'm, a, I'm pretty high on Halliburton. Like I'd, I'd rather have Halliburton than Simmons. I think going forward, and I'd rather have Halliburton than Fox for sure. Um, I would probably do Fox for Simmons though if I were the Kings. But like, yeah, and I think that makes some sense for Philly. Obviously, fills the the point guard hole. Um, I think most people think that's a lot for Simmons though. To be clear, I just I'm not as high on Fox as a lot of other people. Like. Or if you just look at his stats, like I just I don't I don't love him as much as some other people do. So that might seem like a lot for Simmons, but for me, that's a pretty fair one for one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, 
I totally agree. I think that um, I put it, I've floated the idea to Kings fans in our Facebook group, and they've like scoffed at the idea of Fox for Simmons in that Fox is way more valuable than him. I don't th- I think they're in quite similar ranges. I think they both, I think it's a mutually beneficial trade because I think someone like Fox, who as much as he is not a great shooter, he's not even, you know, an average shooter or like a slightly below average shooter. He's, he's outright bad at shooting. He is insanely quick. He is a good playmaker. He isn't afraid of big moments. I think him and Joel Embiid could become like a real dynamic duo in Philly, especially with guys like Tobias Harris, Seth Green, Danny, Seth Curry, and Danny Green around him. And but then Ben Simmons in Sacramento, I I love that too. I think that you run like Halliburton and Davion Mitchell as the one too, because my big issue is that Fox and Halliburton are both really bad defensively. They're both like you don't. It, it's not so. Much, it's not that big of a narrative because they're Sacramento Kings and. They're both promising young players, but they are really bad defensively. If you have Halliburton, Davion Mitchell, I would probably play Heald at the three, Barnes at the four, Ben Simmons at the five, and just let all hell break loose. And I would I would be a big fan of that. If I was a Sacramento Kings fan, I would love that. And then I'd be like, right, we have Rashawn Holmes on the bench. We can fill out our rotation around that. We can get rid of Marvin Bagley. Like, someone please take Marvin Bagley from us i would be a big fan of that if i was a king's fan that sounds a foolish man i would do you think we're do you think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves with davion mitchell nathan like i mean obviously we saw what he did in summer league we saw what he did at baylor but like is he ready to be like an impact player in the nba just oh yeah i'm 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 sold i I, i'm sold i'm sold on davion okay i'm I'm all in okay and even even if he's not he's kind of he's, he's all you've got really at the two so you could have him as like the sixth man, seventh man off the bench and play Buddy Heald, but then you'd probably need to play like Rashawn Holmes, like move everyone down a slot and put Rashawn Holmes at the five. I don't know if I, I like Rashawn, that. Rashawn Holmes has to start though. I mean, they just, they paid him a, a lot of money and, and he's a really nice player. Like I feel like yeah. he's pretty much entrenched as their starting five. And it's like, yeah, what does it look like if Simmons goes there? I do think the appeal for, for Simmons at least would be that he's kind of the man on that team. If he goes there, and I, I don't think it's any secret that that's what he wants. Um, you know, he wants the the offense to run through him, and I think that would be the case there. And and not that he has final say, but I do think he's got a lot that that would have a lot of appeal to him and his people going to Sacramento. It, it definitely makes sense. And if you're talking about De'Aaron Fox or or Halliburton, um, it makes a lot of sense for Philly too. I don't know how much better they're going to do than that. So again, I think it's I think it's probably the most likely destination for Ben Simmons. And he did say. I want to go to a California team. He didn't say and Sacramento's <laughs> in California too. Like I, I, I think I'm inclined to think he was talking about the Lakers, the Clippers or the Warriors, but he just said a California team. So uh, maybe he's, maybe he's talking about Sacramento too. Maybe he's, he wants the, he wants some more laid back fans. He wants, you know, those Philly fans are uh, Nathan, you know, man, you guys are pretty, pretty intense, pretty demanding, pretty quick to turn on a motherfucker like i think uh i think he wants those laid back cali fans and and maybe maybe sacramento would uh would be would be cool with him i don't know halliburton mitchell barnes simmons buddy healed sounds like some stupid team i'm gonna cook up on nba 2k later and maybe i'll do maybe i'll do just that but 
Guys, I got to wrap it here. Thank you so much for recording with me, covering all 30 NBA teams for one hell of a mega season preview for Draft Deeper. I was so excited to bring you guys on. I cannot wait to keep working with you guys this year. And in the future, you guys are some of my favorite people in the basketball space. Nobody else I would want to talk NBA basketball with. So thank you so much for joining me. If you guys out there, my audience enjoyed listening to these two and you aren't subscribed to the overstated NBA show already, you can find it wherever you get your podcast, go subscribe to them. They're going to be pumping out content all year. Make sure you're subscribed to my show. Wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, follow us on Twitter at Draft Deeper and get ready to buckle up. I got one more NBA preview show, an awards preview show, and then it is 2022. So buckle up, get ready for the scouting season. And thank you all so much for listening to this podcast. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.